Welcome to episode 212 of the Samuel and Manuel movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Ryan. Hi, I'm Manny Manuel. We dove in head first to 1992 last week. Part one of the miniseries, Scent of a Woman, is now in the rear view. On to part two. Yep. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the, I don't think it's an understatement to call it a highly controversial film. Yeah. Uh, Basic Instinct. Yeah. Uh, a movie... Uh, what is the relevance of us uh, reviewing this movie? Is it just general cultural impact, or is it high-grossing, or what was the... Both. Yeah. This was a massive hit in 1992, and it was also culturally massive. <laughs> this is, Well, this has been homaged and ripped off, and I mean, this basically uh, completely... Is it correct to say revitalized the erotic thriller genre? Yes. Yeah. I, I think uh, this is, when you think of the quintessential 90s erotic thriller, this is basically it. And a lot of films tried to rip this one off and replicate its success, most of them unsuccessfully. So I certainly had an idea of what to expect going into this film, as we'll learn. I hadn't seen it before. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I had kind of a preconceived notion of what to expect and whether or not it met those expectations, we will, uh, we will find out as we move, as we move forward here. But yeah, highly, highly controversial, uh, film, uh, man, you have a little bit of a confused look on your face there. I was looking to try and get a stat on something, but the stats just not working on what I was looking for. So well, the greatest sound ever. You ready? Jealous. Ice cold nice. Coca-Cola, baby. We're going to need some caffeine to get through this one. I had a late night last night. <laughs> it's probably going to be a late night tonight okay, as well. let's do it. That's all right. All right, so before we dive into uh, part two of our retrospective, uh, we're going to talk about some films we've been watching this week. Now, Sam didn't really get time to watch anything this week. Yeah, a bit of a busy week. Uh, I actually played a show last night at Pizza Pie. Uh, I was on, on the kit, so I have not had a chance to watch too many films. I... Uh, I have continued my Stranger Things rewatch. Uh, we've moved it along to season three. Yep. I won't delve too deep into it for a couple reasons. One, I've talked about Stranger Things a couple times already. And two, we actually did an entire episode on season three of Stranger Things. I believe... With Adam. Yeah, I was going to say uh, Adam uh, guessed that week. So that's some time ago now. Um, I'm going to guess some, somewhere in the 90s. Hmm. Episode 90-ish. Not sure exactly where that would live, but I think Manny's going to find that for me now. I'll find that for you. I will reiterate kind of the spark notes of my thoughts on season three, which is um, that it is a step, a pretty significant step back in terms of quality um, from seasons one and two, which I both really enjoyed. Um, the, my Ooh. main problem so far, I, the characters all seem a little bit different than the way they're written in previous seasons. In particular, I have a problem with the writing of Hopper in season three and the way his character seemingly just for some reason undoes two whole seasons of character development in the way that he handles his emotions towards his daughter um so yeah that that's a bit of a head scratcher for me there's still lots to enjoy about the season lots of great moments i love the way that the friendship between dustin and steve is starting to finally be explored a little bit we only get like a 
couple of fun conversations between them in season two but season three they discover hey we've caught lightning in a fucking bottle with these two together let's let's explore that and some some interesting characters getting introduced uh erica comes on as a full-time cast member rather than just kind of a bit part as well as um oh the uh, steve's co-worker the the girl uh played by maya hawk uh is her name robin yes I okay robin. robin yeah also comes on as a full-time or as a as a cast member so uh there are some great additions and there's some great moments in the series uh, and in the season but uh yeah, the, the treatment of a couple of the older characters is still perplexing to me and uh, will we'll probably continue to be. I don't see myself losing that opinion anytime soon. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I finished season four or the first part of season four or whatever they want to call it, but whatever. Um, I'm not going to talk about it at all since you haven't uh, touched it yet. So as you get into your season four watch, uh, I'll be happy to discuss it with you mm-hmm. uh, then. But I, uh, I watched a bunch of films, but I'm only going to touch on four. Uh, the first one, three of them are 1992 movies. So the first one I'm going to touch upon is a 2022 film called Fire Island. Um, a pair of best friends set out to have a legendary week-long summer vacation with the help of Cheap Rosé and a group of eclectic friends. This movie is about uh, five gay men who go to Fire Island, which is basically a place where gay men meet and just hook up and have uh, reckless and debaucherous fun. This film was recommended to me from another podcast uh, that I like, and so I decided to check it out because he mentioned that while it is kind of like a, a gay romantic comedy, he said the, the majority of the film is actually about friendship. And that immediately, as you are well aware, uh, yeah, caught my attention. Yeah, that your interest for sure. Uh, and he's not wrong. This is about the two kind of main characters um, played by Joel Kim Booster and Bowen Yang as Noah and Howie. Um, these two uh, best friends, these two gay male best friends who have not hooked up. They just are both gay mm-hmm. but don't hook up with one another. So it's a, it's a real friendship. And it's just about one of them trying to get the other one laid and it's a really great friendship movie and i had a good time it is labeled as a romantic comedy um there were some decently funny moments but one moment had me laughing out loud like that really great that was truly funny but it's only one moment. The rest of the time, I was just kind of entertained. I had a great time. The main character played by Joel Kim Booster uh, as Noah, uh, I really liked him and his character and his uh, burgeoning love story in the movie. It's uh, enjoyable. It was definitely enjoyable. Uh, I gave it a 3 out of 5. I'm seeing here that uh, it's inspired by pride and prejudice have you ever seen any any iteration of pride and prejudice uh, didn't we we, wh- we did sense and sensibility oh yeah uh, the other ampersand old-timey romance movie <laughs> <laughs> uh pride and prejudice no i think didn't they wasn't one with gwyneth maybe i, I want to say kieran knightley oh you're right yeah no i haven't Okay. Yeah. Me. Me neither. I have. I have no idea. Apparently, it's excellent. I think it's uh one of our mutual friend. Uh, Don. I think it's Don's favorite movie. Oh. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Oh. Wait. Isn't there... No. Isn't isn't that the one with Mr. Darcy? Yes. Okay. Yep. There is a character called Mr. Uh, Mr. Darcy. Um, yeah, so the 2005 one has Kira Knightley, Matthew McFadden, Rosamund Pike. Isn't uh, there like a BBC series that's longer? There is as well. With Academy Award winner. We just watched him in A Single Man. I didn't watch A Single Man. Oh. But is that, is it Colin Firth? Thank you. Yeah. I swear he's in like a BBC like miniseries, Pride and Prejudice. Let me see if I can. That's the one that I think Don likes. Oh, is it? Okay. I, I always th- thought it was I the think, Kenley one. I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, British TV I, series. Right? Colin Firth. Yep. Okay. Uh, 1995. I think that's the one that Don likes. Yeah, the only name that I recognize in that is Colin Firth. Yeah. I remember my ex-wife loves that one as well. Oh, yeah. But I was I, I never was made to watch it. Hmm. Um, yeah, so this is basically... An, you say like a, a, a reinterpretation yeah, of that story inspired by so yeah i imagine yeah. okay well this is then that's basically like i mean uh, it's inspired by pride and prejudice in the same way that lion king is inspired by hamlet i guess yeah or like american pie is inspired by pride and prejudice about friends trying to get laid i guess get, I so know. who knows but if that's the case fine whatever hmm. uh i had a, a decent enough time with this I could see myself maybe revisiting it down the line. Hmm. Yeah. It's not a heavy recommend, but um, it's definitely nice to watch like a queer romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will tell you this though. uh, There's a lot of really hot men. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, I'm like, everybody works out in this movie. Well, except for some of the main cast and that's part of the, plot part of the the insecurity of it all, yes. i guess yeah. yeah okay yeah but there's there's a a lot of men that are that work out we were just briefly having a conversation off air about our our, our body image our yes. personal body image and yes I, I, so i think uh i may skip this one <laughs> <laughs> despite the despite the recommendation but <laughs> yeah this was hard on the ego yeah this one hurt this yeah one strictly hurt because i just i don't know if i'm prepared to look at that many attractive men <laughs> I and can then look you, at myself um <laughs> the character of howie is the one that that ha- he has body issues yeah i can tell you right now noah joel kim booster he does not and he shouldn't (laughs) but uh i i found myself really relating to howie throughout this film (laughs) cool um more than more than i want to um yeah it was it was it was pretty good okay like i said one incredibly hilarious moment um sadly it's basically right at the end so Mm -hmm. i had to wait the whole movie to get a, a a burst out laughing but it was it was really good it was nice to see um a queer romantic comedy Cool. So, after enjoying uh, that film, I'm going to move on to um, The Babe, starring John Goodman. Um, Babe Ruth becomes a baseball legend, but is unheroic to those who know him. For those that aren't aware, and if you're listening to this show regularly, this should come as no surprise, I'm a massive baseball fan. And while, of course... I am uh, a diehard Red Sox fan, so I'm not a fan of the Yankees. Uh, Babe Ruth is undisputedly, in my opinion, undisputedly the greatest player to ever play the game. And this movie chronicles his life 
and is possibly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. This movie was atrociously bad across the board. I honestly can't think of one good thing to say about this film. Uh, I like John Goodman as an actor. And while we're obviously aware that Babe Ruth was basically a man-child, John Goodman's performance is laughable and annoying. The score throughout the film doesn't suit the movie it's trying to be. It's horribly cheesy score. This tries to chronicle Babe's entire life and career, and so it glosses over the big, important moments of his life. It doesn't even begin... It, do, it doesn't even show the significance of him hitting 60 home runs to set the record. They talk. They say in one like news headline that early in his career, he hit more home runs himself than other teams as a team. Mm-hmm. They just don't show what an impact and how much this man changed the game and his level of dominance. It's so bad as a baseball fan and it's even worse watching john goodman try to swing left-handed and seeing the balls that he does come into contact with for them to pretend that those are going to leave the yard is disgusting this movie was such a colossal waste of time i really wish i hadn't watched it this was a one out of five. Fantastic. I love a good one-star review from Manny. Uh, I have not seen this. I am also a big baseball fan. Anybody who's listening may know. Um, yeah. Uh, also echo your feelings about John Goodman. I like him in just about every Coen Brothers thing that he's in and a lot of other stuff. Uh, very talented actor. And uh, I would I would go so far as to call him underrated. I, he yeah. hasn't gotten the Academy recognition that I think he deserves. But uh, yeah, nothing about this makes it sound like something I'd want to watch. Dude, don't. I I beg you, don't a not to watch it. A baffling cinematography and editing decision to have all of his at-bats in camera, I guess. Like, we sometimes talk about the fact that um, when, when we talk about guys like Keanu Reeves and the, uh, like the John Wick movies is the first thing that comes to mind. Keanu puts in the work off, like, off-site yes. to do his gun training so that all of the gun work in the movie can be on camera, yes. right? So in the event that you have somebody who's not a good baseball player okay, fine, I mean, they should really be putting in the work, but if they haven't, you need to change your shots accordingly. You need to you need to kind of fly by the seat of your pants and make sure that you don't have him embarrassing himself on camera. And, uh... I just found a good thing in this movie. Okay. Have you seen a lot of clips of Babe Ruth after he hits a home run? Yeah, he's got a stupid little run around the base path and, like, short little strides, it looks like. Yes, John Goodman nails it. Okay. Especially... From the moment he hits the ball, when he leaves the batter's box, as he slowly trots down towards first as he's watching the ball, yeah. John Goodman nails that. And that's the only good thing I'll say about this yeah. movie. I would characterize that run as like a waddle. Yes. It's a bit of a waddle. Yeah. Yeah, I won't be checking this one out either. Oh, oh for two on the recommendations. Fuck, it's so bad. All right, next up is a movie I wasn't that excited to visit that I'm... sure you've seen. Mm -hmm. And it is a a 1992 comedy that was very popular based off of an SNL skit called 
Wayne's World. Oh, I've I've I'm familiar with Wayne's World, Manny. Okay. I've I've visited this film many a time. All right. So two slacker friends try to promote their public access cable show. Sam, if I'm not mistaken, I think that you you do enjoy this movie. I do. Okay. I like well, this movie. Uh, hopefully, I, yeah, you do if you've seen it a few times. It's been a minute. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna guess probably about six or seven years since my last watch, but I'm I'm gonna say close to double digit number of times I've seen this movie. Okay. So this was during like possibly like the greatest run in SNL. In the early '90s, like I'm sure many people would uh, say the '70s, like the original cast. Yep, but uh, yeah, '70s and and possibly this because you've got Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, Adam Sandler, yeah. Phil Hartman, mm-hmm. John Lovitz, Chris uh, Farley was SNL. Chris right? Farley, Chris yeah. Farley's here at the time. Um, fuck, who's the, uh, David Spade? Yeah. Like this is a really great cast doing really great work. Uh, Sandler is on SNL at this time. I, I said Sandler. Did you? Okay. Yeah. Um, Norm Macdonald. Oh yeah. Yeah. Rip. Yeah. This is this is a really great a really great time. But I wasn't watching SNL because I wasn't watching TV. Yeah. I was, you snob. <laughs> I, I had this is nineteen ninety two, this is when I'm starting to become a movie fan. Yeah. And so I really wasn't watching a lot of TV, but I also was not really watching a lot of movies. I was heavy into Nintendo. Mm. So I was playing a lot of games. I remember watching this movie back in 1992 and completely dismissing it, and it has been erased from my memory. I wasn't looking forward to this rewatch because I'm not a fan of Mike Myers. This, there's nothing about this movie that makes me think you would like it. Not going to lie. Sam, I liked this movie. Did you really? I did. Yes, let's go. I, as a shock. It was a shock to me as I was watching it. I found myself um, having a good time and laughing. Now, some of the jokes don't quite land, but I found myself having a really good time. When's the last time you watched this movie? I'm going to say six, seven years ago. Okay. Now, I'm not, I don't think I've ever... Talk- I, will, I will be revisiting this for, for this year, though. Okay. Like for, this, uh, for this review of the year. Okay. This retrospective. All right. I don't think I've ever talked about this on mic, and I'm pretty sure I've told you about this off mic. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of that's what she said. Yeah, no, we've we've talked about this off air many times. Okay. Because when the office came around, it's kind of like what we said with uh with Jim Carrey, everybody's yep. quoting uh, East Ventura back in 94 and we just gave another example of that that I can't remember. Um, uh, Austin Powers. Austin Powers, yeah. We yeah. were talking about uh yeah, Mike Myers, but uh yeah, so when that's what she said and, and the office becomes very popular. Yeah. yeah it takes the world by storm. He uh, says it in this movie. Oh he yeah. He literally says, yes, he does. that's what she said. Uh huh. And I was like, fuck you office. <laughs> Stole the joke. Yeah. And ran way too far with it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, I'm so over that joke mm-hmm. and I'm glad to see that it start. It's, it finally seems to be calming down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, like like I said, it, it it was it was funny the first couple times I I heard that's what she said. Yeah. But the six hundred and thirty second time, not not funny. Think of your own shit, please. Um. But yeah, there were some truly funny and amusing moments in here that I had one hundred percent completely forgotten. I found myself uh, laughing, not like hardcore laughing, but like good earnest chuckles. Mm-hmm. And I was completely entertained, and the whole time I'm like, 
I can't believe I'm liking this. Sam's going to be one happy boy. I'm, I'm ecstatic right now. Yeah. Uh, I had a really good time watching this movie. And while it has a few problems, nothing enough to make me dislike this movie, uh, Wayne's World gets a three out of five for me. Let's go. I can't even express to you <laughs> what a success this three out of five feels like to me. That's awesome. Um, I, I will say I don't know what general uh, critical consensus is as far as the first versus the second. I think the second is also pretty good. I'm going to have to watch it now. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would recommend. If you like the first, I feel like you'll like the second probably. Um, same thing. There's problems. But if you turn your brain off, it's a fun little watch. Um, I work in a music store. Yes. Uh, the Forbidden Riff gets brought up all the time. That is the first one, right? Or he buys the guitar. Or is that the second one? No, he, buy, he buys a guitar. Yeah. Um, he asked there before he buys it. He, I think he want he was going to play stairway to heaven. Yeah. Or something like and that. then somebody stops him yeah. in the, like in the music store that I work at somebody like maybe once a month, a customer will grab a guitar off the wall and go, Hey, is it okay to play stairway to heaven? Like it's still often. <laughs> um, and it is okay by the way, cause that's a great song. Um, it is a great song. this song, uh, w- one thing that this movie did, uh, that I'd like to touch on is that, um, obviously Queen was already a huge band. Like they, they were already past their peak. Like they, they had had an entire career and I believe Freddie Mercury died probably the year before this came out oh, or maybe two years, uh, two years before. But this song gave second wind to Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, it did. It repopularized it. Yes, it did. Uh, because in one of the best scenes, the movie, of course, uh, the, the headbanging scene to Bohemian Rhapsody, that's a, that's a ton of fun and has been parodied and ripped off all over the place. How well do you remember the visuals of that scene, the headbanging scene? Uh, like moderately well. Okay. I don't know. Okay. When you get a chance, watch the video clip of it mm-hmm. or when you watch the movie. But the one thing I notice is this. There's five people in that scene. Mm-hmm. Four of them are really going for it. One of them is not, mm-hmm. and that one person is Mike Myers. Yeah, the four others are really f- just throwing their head into it, <laughs> and Mike's like this. Yeah, he's just kind of doing like. Yeah, uh, I've done this at uh, at metal shows before, and my neck gets really sore. You do the full like full torso head yes. bang. Yeah, <laughs> to it's, preserve your it's neck. Super noticeable because especially the guys in the back are going full tilt. Well, it's I, I assume you know why that is. Like apparently that scene was shot like. For a long time, a lot of takes for that scene. So I bet he was probably stiff as hell probably. by the end of it. But the others probably just as stiff, yeah. <laughs> but they did not care. But the star could do what he wants. It's funny. I, I do kind of remember that visually. I've always kind of chalked that up to just Wayne's mannerisms. Like I just like the kind of full body nod just feels like a part of the it's, Wayne character. It, it, like I said, it doesn't bother me. It's just so noticeable. Mike Myers has also said uh, that he had to fight. He had to fight for that song. Um, he said that Lorne Michaels wanted to do Guns N' Roses instead. And uh, Lorne went to him and was like, you're certain that you want this song. You're certain that I have to buy the rights for this song for you. And he's like, yep, it has to be Bohemian Rhapsody. Gone, okay. That's and awesome. then the rest is history. Yeah, uh, I had a great time. I won't lie. I could see myself revisiting this. Cool. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm really happy that you liked it. I'm I'm genuinely surprised. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Is this like Ace Ventura level surprise? Uh, I was more surprised <laughs> at Ace Ventura. We haven't talked a ton about Mike Myers, you and I. We've talked a lot about Jim Carrey, so I knew your general disdain. My, uh, or disdain's the wrong word, but your uh, your displeasure with early '90s uh, Carrey and just Jim Carrey in general. It's just, it's not a. It, it's, uh, 
I, I can't think of the right word for it. An but... oversaturation. Yeah. 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 Uh, no. Yeah. No. The uh, the the wear that his career has had on you. <laughs> <sighs> Which is too bad because like I don't deny his popularity. I don't deny his talent. Yeah. But I. I just had to endure nothing but bad Jim Carrey impersonations from everybody around me. Uh, on the on the note of Mike Myers, I just also have to say that he's my favorite movie in the world is Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> I've seen that movie countless times, and every time Mike Myers shows up in that movie, it surprises me. <laughs> every time I'm like, "Oh yeah, Mike Myers is in this movie." Yeah, just <laughs> like a scene. Yeah, it's so random, super random. <laughs> yeah. The last movie I want to talk about is a uh, another movie from 1992 it is a crime drama uh directed produced and starring an actor who i always forget how good he is until i watch something with him in it and that's edward james almost directorial debut american me and the mexican-american mafia kingpin is released from prison falls in love for the first time and grows introspective about his gangster lifestyle as I was watching this movie, it felt like a Latino version of Goodfellas. That's what it feels like. But as you keep watching, you realize, oh, Edward James almost wants to tell the story of what really being a gangster is like. Hmm. He does not glamorize the lifestyle. Unlike Goodfellas, you're like, you're like, that, wow, being a gangster is awesome. This is the opposite. You're <laughs> like, I am so glad I am in my house right now watching this movie instead of living this life. Mm. Edward James Olmos, um, perhaps in any other year, probably could have gotten nominated for Best Actor. Mm. But this year is so fucking stacked that it's hard for me to see where he could get in. Right now, looking at the best actor nominees, I would take out Stephen Ray and put in Edward James Olmos, but I haven't seen The Crying Game in over 20 years. So we're reviewing it later on, so maybe my tune will change. Not saying that Stephen Ray's bad. I remember him being good, but I can't take out the other four. Um, William Forsyth, um, you, 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 he was in The Rock, he was one of the FBI guys that was uh, kind of helped Stanley Goodspeed, Nicolas Cage's character. Okay. He is really good in this movie as like a white guy that grew up in a Latino neighborhood. So he's... He's kind of the, uh, uh, oh my God, the Ray Liotta character. Yeah. 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 Except, except that he's not the main character. Right. He's... But, but he's... A similar sort of role where yeah, he's, he's sort of an outsider who's accepted yeah. in. He's accepted in, but he's accepted like this movie starts the same as Goodfellas when these boys are teenagers mm -hmm. and Edward James Olmos's character goes to prison as a teenager and grows up in prison. Oh, okay. And so when he's finally released from jail, he has a scene where he, he meets a girl and he falls in love and he literally has sex with a girl for the first time, like in his forties mm -hmm. because he grew up in prison. Um, the movie is brutal. It has um, a very disturbing uh, <laughs> a, I'm, oh I'm just gonna say it a very disturbing prison rape and 
kill scene. Mm. Like, uh, not the not the way to go. Not no, the best way to go. No, Sam. The whole time it's happening, and the, it's it's not a short scene. Yeah, he do, he doesn't fuck around. Like I, poor choice I, of words, but I, I what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> I can't stress enough that. Edward James almost does not glamorize this lifestyle. And I think it's one of the reasons that I enjoyed this movie so much is it's a really unflinching look at what these people live through and do. I had an absolutely great time. I love Edward James almost as an actor. And this movie got a four to five for me. Cool. I'm looking through Edward James almost uh, filmography right now. Not a ton. Uh, I now realize who he is in Blade Runner. I had to think real hard about yeah. it. <laughs> but he's the guy uh, at the end of the original uh, who he has like the last line in the movie. He's, uh, he has the, the he's, orga- he's the, the origami guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, besides that, I don't have a ton of experience with this actor. I can tell you right now, he has a movie that uh, I finally got T-Bone to watch after him and I talking about for years called Stand and Deliver. He was nominated for Best Actor. Sam, if you ever see that movie on streaming, I implore you to watch it. Mm, yeah, I, I've heard of this. I think you told me about this, I maybe. Did. Yeah, yeah, it is fucking amazing. Uh, this movie, uh, I definitely recommend it. If you like gangster movies, then the, you 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 can't do much worse than the, much better. Can't do much better. Yeah, can't do much better. Y- you could do a lot worse. You could do a lot worse. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's... It's a really, a very entertaining, um, the only thing uh, I will say about this movie, um, Edward James almost it is his directorial debut. He's definitely trying to be Scorsese. He has a lot of um, tracking shots, a lot of really great camera movement, but you can tell he's trying a little too hard and it doesn't quite, obviously, we're talking about Scorsese, mm-hmm. doesn't quite reach that level and he obviously doesn't have the same budget. So you can kind of see the difference in that, but it's still a really good movie hmm. that I'm looking forward to revisiting again. Great. Awesome. That's everything I've been watching, which was a lot. And that's only the stuff I want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but You're let's, a busy guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not, no, I'm not busy. That's why I can watch so many movies. You keep busy I do. with movies. I keep busy with my passion. Good. So let's get to the movie that uh, we came here to review. And that is Basic Instinct. Released March 20th, 1992. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. The same guy that did Starship Troopers that we reviewed. Yeah. Uh, Three stars. Yep. <laughs> Joe Esterhaus. Uh, I'll touch on him later. Uh, starring Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone, and George Zenza. Uh, Metascore of 41. And this is, I would like to reiterate, this is not the Razzie Best Picture Week. Or yeah. the Razzie Worst Picture Week. Yeah. That's next week. This wasn't even nominated. Yeah. It's 41 Metascore. Not well received. No. There's reasons for that. Oh, yeah. Um, it had two Oscar nominations uh, for Best Film Editing and Best Original Score. It got three Razzie nominations. Um, worst actor for Michael Douglas, mm. but this is coupled with his role in Shining Through, the movie we're reviewing next week. Mm-hmm. Um, worst supporting actress for Gene Triplehorn, and worst new star for Sharon Stone's tribute to Theodore Cleaver. I had to Google that one. I did see that. Makes sense. Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. 
Boo. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I'll just say this right now. Without spoiling everything, uh, the worst actor for Michael Douglas nomination. We haven't seen Shining Through yet. Uh, he's not bad in this movie. No, I had no problems with him in this movie. Worst supporting actress, Gene Triplehorn. This is our actual feature film debut. I disagree with this as well. No problem with that. I like the joke of Sharon Stone's tribute to Theodore Cleaver. Low-hanging fruit, but There's okay. There's no way she should be on this list. No. Had a budget of $49 million. It grossed 117 in the U.S. That makes it the ninth highest grossing film of the year. And it grossed $352 million worldwide. That's before home video. Yes. The plot, a violent police detective investigates a brutal murder that might involve a manipulative and seductive novelist. Now, before we get into our spoiler discussion, last week, Sam gave a little thought on what this film would be. Let's see what he had to say. One, speaking of movies that have been on my radar, nice. this is one that I have seen ripped off homage reference more times than i can count yeah a hugely cultural important culturally important movie mm-hmm. i don't think that's an, an overstatement no it's yeah. not uh episode 212 we're going to be continuing with 1992 and talking about the erotic thriller yes basic instinct sam have you seen this movie before i haven't i i mentioned to you a couple weeks ago actually uh this has obviously been on our radar. We planned these episodes out months in advance. Yep. So we've known this one's coming. Um, I was in a bar in Vancouver. That's right. Uh, where there was movies playing without sound on a screen. And uh, I found myself drawn to watching Basic Instinct uh, just briefly on, on the screen there. Subtitles? Yes. Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. Um, so, you know, a couple of the scenes in the beginning I, I might uh, be familiar with. Mainly I wanted to be on the lookout for the scene. Like, the, like, the famous scene. Yes. <clears throat> so since it's a movie you haven't seen, mm-hmm. even though you've seen a, appears to be a scene or two in it, yeah. it's time for the ever popular Sam predicts the movie's plot. Yeah, the movie is called Basic Instinct. Other than Sharon Stone, do you even know who's in it? Uh, yes, because uh, Newman. <laughs> okay, uh, is uh, is in that same scene. All right. Oh, and um, uh, Douglas, Michael Douglas. Okay. Yeah. So what is Basic Instinct about, Sam? Uh, so my, my actual real guess is uh, there is a, uh, a crime, there's a murder that needs to be solved. It's a murder investigation movie. Okay. Uh, and the I believe the primary suspect is an incredibly foxy Sharon Stone. All right. And uh, I believe uh, shenanigans, tomfoolery, <laughs> and lots and lots of sex uh, will ensue. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll find out next week if you were correct yeah. on your assessment. <laughs> Sam, how are you feeling about your prediction? Well, uh, we came up a little short on the tomfoolery. Uh, <laughs> not not a ton of that, depending on your definition. Outside of that, bang on. Um, you know, I had a pretty good idea of what this movie was about. Yeah. So uh, It's a no, pretty no, famous movie. Yeah, it's a pretty famous movie, so no real surprises there. And like I say, it's uh, it's been homaged countless times in, uh, in cinema and in TV, so... <clears throat> yep, I uh, I feel like I knocked that one out of the park, but I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah, so chalk one up for yeah. the Sam got it right <laughs> column, as opposed to the several. God, I feel like uh, you, you like that you like that segment. Uh, I think too. 
<laughs> to embarrass me just just a touch, just a little bit. No, is that accurate? No, I, no, it's not. It's not at all. I, I think it's just it's not an embarrassment. It's just a fun exercise because we're moving farther away from films that you're more aware of. That's true. And so it's just kind of fun to see what you think a movie's about based on its title. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not to embarrass you at all. Okay, no, good. No. All right. No, 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 not at all. It, so it's all love over here. Hundred percent <laughs> love. My my favorite thing was is it's still the tombstone one. Like that yeah. fucking killed See, that's, me. That's the thing is that that is embarrassing that, for me. Yes, <laughs> that's embarrassing. Yes, that was embarrassing. <laughs> so I understand it, but yeah. it's not. It's not because of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, hundred <laughs> um, percent. So now you've seen the movie. Your prediction was fairly close. Mm-hmm. What are your spoiler-free thoughts on Basic Instinct? Yeah, so um, my preconceived notions about the movie were pretty well bang on. This movie came out in a time uh, before internet porn existed, and it shows. <laughs> uh, the sex scenes are mostly pretty pretty sexy, pretty bang on. Like, uh, Sharon Stone is obviously a beautiful woman, uh, and I can't imagine the waves that this must have made at the time. Um, on top of that, she gives genuinely a great performance. Like, when I say she's one of the highlights of the movie, it's not just because we get to see her naked countless times. Um, it's because she actually gives like a really good performance, I think. I, I think this is a completely underrated performance. It's fantastic. and I, I can see why you would think it's underrated. You have a better idea of the specific um, cultural impact and critical response to this movie which than I'll, I do. I'll, which I'll get into. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that Sharon Stone's performance is kind of overshadowed by... Well, the one thing that I knew about this movie, yeah, which is, I, I'll just come on and say it. She shows her vagina in this movie. To my knowledge, it's the first uncensored labia in a movie, uh, you know, in a, in a mainstream cinematic movie. I don't think so. Is that not true? No. Hmm. No. Okay. Well, that was that was my understanding, or that was my uh, understanding of it at the time, anyway. Um. So, I mean, that's that's the obvious out of the gate is that you can't talk about this movie without talking about Sharon Stone, uh, both from an acting performance and from her getting naked. Um, I think the mystery aspects of the story uh, definitely work for me. Nice. Uh, kept nice. me Kept me guessing for the most part. Kind of figured it out towards the end. I mean, it's kind of obvious which direction they're going to be going towards the end there. Um, so there are aspects that surprised me, aspects that didn't. We can touch on those. But for the most part, I think the mystery... And the noir elements of it are pretty well realized, and I, I liked that a lot. Um, how, where else do I want to go here? Um, well-made movie, uh, top-notch uh, camera work. Yes. Uh, I, a lot of scenes I found, uh, I'm going to use this word, found were Spielbergian uh, in, their, in their direction. There's a lot of scenes where instead of a cut, we'll just kind of shift the focus Yes, and follow people around a room in kind of a sneaky, deceptive oneer style and oneer that doesn't draw attention to itself, which is something that we point out about Spielberg all the time. Um, Verhoeven is obviously drawing inspiration from that, and I really liked that aspect of it. He does a great job. Um, the main problem I have with this movie is I just, I cannot root for Nick. Nick is just, <laughs> Nick is just a, bad person yeah he is a very bad person i want bad things to happen to him and i want him to die the entire time <laughs> I, I want him to die this entire movie uh that's no fault of michael douglas's uh, no. the nomination for worst actor is a, a head scratcher as far as i'm concerned he's a great actor and i think this is a good performance but yeah the character of nick just does shitty thing after shitty thing after shitty thing and i just want him to pay the consequence including 
one thing that is which was controversial at the time yes it was already yes it was i it is a baffling decision to have him do this one specific terrible thing it, it it's just mind-boggling that they would write this into a movie for our hero to do i i don't get it i don't get it one bit and it any shred of respect that i had for our lead was gone in that scene i'm like well i want i want you to fucking die i hope you get an ice pick to your eye socket good sir good day yeah so um overall overall on basic instinct i generally enjoyed it it's well directed well constructed uh, we were listening to the score before yeah. we came on air tonight great i think it's a really good score uh, did really... you know it was nominated uh i did uh just as i was just as we were coming on air i checked okay. to see if it was um yeah, I think it's a it's a really good score. It really sets the the mystery tone. Yeah, and the very dramatic cues, the like the really intense moments, ramp it up. For the most part, the score just kind of lays in the lays in the shadows and lurks around and just sort of sets the tone. Yeah. But when shit goes down, the score is really on point. So yeah. I, I was really impressed with uh, basically all of the technical elements for a movie for a movie with a forty one meta score. It's it's pretty damn well made. Uh, the main problem is Nick. Just a not a great lead, or sorry, not a not a great protagonist. Agreed. I agree. I have some major problems with him. Hundred percent. I agree. Okay. Awesome. I'm really glad to hear uh, that you enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Where do I want to go with this? <sighs> this in March of 1992. Uh, I hadn't. Um, Last Mohicans hadn't come out yet, mm-hmm. so my. Uh, transformation from liking movies into uh, loving film hasn't even started yet. So this movie was only known to me because of the controversy surrounding it and not only because of the very famous interrogation scene, but this movie was being um, picketed and protested uh, by the, uh, by the gay community. And that of course was giving it free publicity. And so I heard about this movie because of that. Then when it came out and became a sensation, uh, I became more intrigued. And then you learn like there's some fucking hardcore sex scenes. But I'm 16 when this movie comes yeah. out. I'm turning 17. There's no way I was getting into the movie theater to see this. So I had to wait for home video. Were you a pretty young looking teenager as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, we're, we're young looking, <laughs> we're baby faced individuals. I know. I'm 46. I don't think I look for, do I look 46? No. no. I look you like have, I'm a 30s. You have a youthful glow to you, 30s. sir. 30s. I look in my 30s, right? I, I would, if I saw you on the street, I'd say that man is 36. Perfect. That's what I figured. That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. In my mind, I'm like, I still look like I'm in my 20s. Yeah. I know I don't. <laughs> but I don't feel like I'm closing in on half a century. Oof. <laughs> uh, but... It would never even have occurred to me to try and sneak in and see this in the theater. I was just one. I was too too much of a. I like to play by the rules kind of guy. Oh, me too, man. I'm I'm such a goody two shoes. It, it was, which is funny because, like, spoiler alert. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, but you're aware. I used to shoplift as a kid, hmm. like a lot. Really? Yeah. Oh, I never knew that about oh, you. Oh yeah, I was a fucking klepto. Hmm. But I. I only did it because of the thrill it gave me to yeah. do it. I didn't really care what I was stealing. I just did it because yeah, I think it was... that's a common thing. Yeah. But after I got caught, I'm like, that wasn't worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of went. Oh, the... this was really dumb. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of went on the straight and narrow after yeah. that. 
And so I was like, I don't want to sneak into this movie and then get embarrassed by being caught. Yeah. So it never occurred to me to even try. So when I saw this, it would have been on home video later on in the year. And Does mom know that you used to shoplift a lot? She was, she was the one that caught me. Rough. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. That it, must have been a, a whole conversation. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll tell a story. Okay. So Story time, baby. Uh, mom caught me. Yeah. I was stealing from Aberdeen Mall. Shout out to Aberdeen Mall. Shout out to Aberdeen Mall. <laughs> and I didn't know this, but she was friends with um, the manager, I think, of one of the large department stores. It wasn't the Bay. And I think at the time it would have been Wolco or Woodward's. Um, Neither of those ring a bell for me. Yeah, it's where Sears was. Yeah, and now Marshall's, I think. Yeah, Marshall's and whatever. And whatever. They did a bunch of renos in there. <clears throat> I didn't know she knew the manager, so she took me in there. Uh, she's like, she set up a meeting and he, I remember him being like, I would have been, I was young. Like I would have been 11. Mm. And I remember this man towering over me. And I think my mom gave him permission to intimidate and scare me, not physically, but like he was probably well over six feet tall. I remember him towering over me and just ripping into me about it. And I just remember being terrified. Yeah. And I was like, I will not do this again. Um, that was a lie. I actually continued to steal until I was about 15. Wow. I just got better at it. Yeah. And then when I was 15, I realized if I get caught now, there are real repercussions. Like, you know, like possibly juvie or something that stays on my record permanently. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what quit. That made me quit was the, the idea that, if I were it to could get... actually it could genuinely fuck up your life. A bit. Yes. Um, so yeah, it, that that was the the first time being caught by my mom was super embarrassing and and sadly it only kind of made me better because I didn't want to get caught again. <laughs> that but that it, is it, often the case with these things though, like uh, with parents who uh, I, I mean I, I won't I won't say it's a, a parenting thing here because I I have no idea about your mom, but yeah. often it can be the case that parents exacerbate these things by punishing their kids because they just, it doesn't teach them that it's wrong. It teaches them that it's wrong to get caught. Yes. And they just find up getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Which I got really yeah. fucking good. But since, since you shared a, a stealing story, uh, I, I will too. Um, I, I never really went through a stealing phase. Okay. Uh, I, that wasn't a part of my childhood, but oh. I remember one specific time stealing something. And I, I think I can trace the fact that I didn't have a stealing phase back to this very moment. I remember my friend, my friend Brian in like grade two, Fuck grade Brian. three, had a, had a notebook or something where he, he'd written something down I wasn't supposed to know. I can't even remember the specific details of it, but I remember that he, he had this notebook and I knew there was something in there that I couldn't see. So one day when I was at his house, I stole it Ooh. and I showed it to my other friend, Ian. And I remember, I remember being like giddy because I was like two and I just stole, or not two, I was grade two. I had just stolen my first thing, and I was all giddy about it. I had that rush. I was like, look what I got, and I like showed him. And my friend Ian looked at me with such disgust. He's, <gasps> like, he's like, that guy is your friend. Why would you take something that belongs to him and not you? How can you think that's okay? And I remember being so ashamed of myself. I remember just, like, I'm actually getting, like, this wave of guilt washing <sighs> over me now all these years later. This is, like, 20 years ago. Like like 80% of my life ago, I have this wave of guilt rushing over me right now yep. because I remember just feeling so 
gross yeah. that I betrayed my friend in this way. And then he went and told my other friend, the one I stole from, rightfully yeah. so. Yeah. He went and said, hey, Sam took this thing of yours. And I remember him coming to me and being like, dude, what the fuck? You knew you, you, knew you couldn't have that. Like, what are you doing? And I remember just being like, I don't know, man. Sorry, I thought it would be funny. I don't know. I thought it would be cool. I don't even know what I was thinking. And I remember just being like, I am never doing that again. That was the shittiest experience I have ever had. Yeah. So, yeah, I did not get better at it. I, uh, <laughs> I, sadly, I stopped I immediately. Sadly, I did. Yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a weird tangent that for us to go. Tangent. I'm glad we explored that, though. Me too. This is a little therapy session that here. was. I feel better now. Uh, so, well, since we're revealing secrets, this should come as no secret. When this movie hit home video... I watch this movie a lot. Yeah? Yes. Just for the uh, for the film analysis yes, aspects? Yes, and for Jerry Goldsmith's score. Yep. Yes. Yep, for the plot. No, this... <laughs> you mentioned it earlier on. This was before the internet porn. So this was literally porn yep. for me. Um, this movie was used countless times by me. Yeah. Sharon Stone was my first girlfriend. Charlize has the title now. Prior to Sharon Stone, it was this actress named Alyssa Milano. But I never thought of Alyssa Milano in the way that I thought of Sharon Stone. Mm -hmm. So Sharon Stone was almost... I can't say she was a sexual awakening because, mom, cover your ears, I had already had sex by the time I was 17. Manny Manuel. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You dog. Yeah. But... This was a very transformative film for me. And Sharon Stone will always hold a special place in my heart. I didn't truly understand the significance and the talent level of her performance until... A few years later, when I stopped being a horny little teenager and could look at this film in a much more critical light. Hmm. But this movie did open the door for the erotic thriller wave that uh, began and really opened the door to kind of the direct-to-video market of the erotic thriller. Basically, this film gave a career to um let's see if i can remember these actresses names i know one is shannon tweed she was a b-level erotic thriller actress shannon Worley, i think is another one and i can't remember the third kind of big star and the big male star who would be like the michael douglas equivalent in all these erotic straight to video thrillers is andrew stevens they were the they were kind of like the <laughs> they were like the Tom Cruise and Julia Roberts of the B-level erotic thriller. Nice, that's a fantastic analogy. Um which I'm not ashamed to say I watched a lot of them. I rented them often because there was no internet porn and I was not going to go into a porn store as a teenager. I was terrified. But were you you were allowed to rent Basic Instinct though? Yes. They didn't ID because I, I assume that they had a policy to not rent 18 a movies or whatever this was R. I assume they, they, uh, they, <laughs> I think you could 
I think they wouldn't they wouldn't have allowed like a twelve year old to yeah. rent it. But they weren't IDing me to, if I was okay to rent an R rated film at the video store. They didn't care, and they were all fully aware of what I was renting. Yeah. When you come to the counter with Basic Instinct, you're not like there's only there's one reason why why you're renting Basic Instinct in the year 1993, I assume. Yeah, late 92 because this came out early 1992. So right. I don't know when the home video release would have been. Most likely late 1992 because I think the theatrical window to to home video release was probably at least six months off the top of my head. Um, so that's kind of my personal thing. The cultural impact of this film uh, can't be denied. I grew up – this movie literally – made a star out of Sharon Stone. Prior to this, she was a complete unknown. She had been, um, she played uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife in a movie called Total Recall. She, she's probably like the fifth build on, on, the, on the marquee. Her role isn't huge, but she was good in it. And she had lots of other like smaller roles in, in lesser known films. But the big thing about this is this catapulted her into superstardom basically overnight when she was at the point – she was at the age of when most Hollywood actresses start to go down. Mm. She was in her early 30s, and we know how Hollywood likes to promote and sexualize and take advantage of the early ingenues when they're you know early to – early to mid twenties until they hit about 30 and then they stopped giving them roles. But this led, this was a massive shooting star performance by Sharon Stone. And like I said, this just catapulted her to number one on my list. And I was going to try and find it. I would not have time now, but I, I remember writing a whole bunch of stuff about Sharon Stone, not, lurid sexual things but like my complete and utter obsession and love for her mm. i would just replace words with, with sharon stone i, I wish yeah. i I'm almost positive i still had it and i wanted to find it but yeah. uh done in fun and i made it no secret that she was the woman i was in love with and every like all my friends knew that sharon stone was my number one uh she is captivatingly beautiful in this film Yes, we get to see her naked. Yes, that is a delight to see. But she is also, she has a beautiful face. I was really looking forward to this rewatch because I remember this performance being so good and I was not disappointed. What I'd forgotten was how powerful a performance this is in regards to how strong of a woman character she is. One of the reasons – can I get into this in the spoiler-free part? Yeah, I think I can. Yeah, I can. One of the reasons that this role always uh, meant a lot to me and uh, Sharon Stone's performance is so good, this was very um, – it's very sex-positive for women. It's very someone that is not ashamed as a woman to enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. And in the early 90s – this this movie displays that basically Puritan feeling 
Puritan view on women enjoying sex perfectly. And what I love about this is that Paul Verhoeven being Dutch and coming from Europe where sex is not taboo, Mm -hmm. it's not looked down upon, unlike here in North America where we're like, whoa, Mm -hmm. what are you doing there, boy? (laughs) Don't you dare talk about sex. Don't show us naked women. That is, while, while that obviously looks good, you can't have enough. You stop it. Where over in Europe, they're like, everybody fucks. Tits on TV, baby. Yep. And it's it's Verhoeven's perfect direction of their of the men's reaction to her stance and her thoughts on sex is perfect. And watching it now, thirty years later, it's just a fucking treat to see a woman who is so sex positive and so confident and sure and not ashamed to enjoy sex. I, I always love that part of this role. Yeah, what's really interesting about the discussion around this movie, as far as I can tell, is that it's pretty polarizing in its responses. It seems like there's roughly half the crowd will take that point of view, where um, not only is it a great role for a woman where she is completely open about liking sex and the fact that she basically uses men for sex, yep. and the other half will go, uh, of course, uh, a, any woman who likes having sex openly must be a psychopathic murderer. And the same thing with the response from the queer community. I was reading a little bit about this, yep. where, it was, like you said earlier, they were picketing. A lot of it came from the fact that all of the, uh, the bisexual characters in the movie well they must be psychopaths but then there's another group of people that go wow how great to have uh representation on film that's as pure and uh realistic as basic instinct it seems like a really divisive topic when i was watching this um i will try to describe this as non-spoiler as possible there's a character who is not bisexual who describes having uh, a gay interaction at one point a gay experience and that scene just seemed so natural. Yep. And her response and the response of everybody around her seemed just really, really natural. She says, like, well, of course I wouldn't, uh, of course I wouldn't tell anybody that I, that I had this experience. What am I supposed to say? Hey, I'm not gay, but I did fuck this woman 20 years ago. And I'm like, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And it's just brought up so nonchalantly and naturally. I, I really liked the way that it was treated in that movie. I can understand people who would see that and go, wow, of course, everybody who's gay in this movie or has had a gay experience is a psychopath. But honestly, I thought the the queer characters in this movie were the most interesting. They were written really well. Okay, to, to tap into that, part of the problem with this is the year before the Best Picture winner was Silence of the Lambs. Right. Where a transvestite cross-dresser is a psychopathic killer. Mm-hmm. And so this... That, coupled with this, where there is a bisexual woman and bisexual characters mm-hmm. who have committed murder, where it's kind of like the one-two punch where the gay community had a problem with it. And I can understand that. But the representation of queer people in this movie is not a bad thing. It's They're not saying that because Catherine Trammell is bisexual that mm-hmm. she is a murderer. It's not her bisexuality that causes her yes. to murder people. Allegedly. (laughs) Nice Uh, save. (laughs) Or any other character who is not straight to be psychopathic because they are queer. Yeah. It's... 
it's I, yeah i think i think the key word here to take uh, to play devil's ad- advocate briefly the key word here is trope yeah like, it's it's not the fact that uh her bisexuality is causing her to allegedly murder people it's not like that i think it's more like if you're to pick if you if you don't know who the murderer is at any point and there's one character who's bisexual i guess th- this is something i was unaware of apparently it is a trope for a gay or bisexual person to be a psychopath or a murderer i'm unfamiliar with that trope as am i yeah but that's that's what i'm what i'm reading here okay um so apparently this is playing into that sort of archetype which allegedly exists all right so i i have no counter argument to that no i'll just say that i had like (laughs) the two straight guys on mic right now had no problem with the gay representation in the movie way to go us yeah pat on the the back We did it. <laughs> yeah, we did it. You're welcome. We solved representation in cinema. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, that's a lot on uh, on Basic Instinct non-spoiler. I yeah. think it, I think it's high time we get into this. <sighs> Let's do it. Sam, why don't you take us in? Uh, Basic Instinct is 30 years old, and there is a lot to talk about. We're going to get into it. We're going to spoil it. If you haven't seen it, please go do so already. Uh, three, two, one, go fuck yourself. I'm just quickly looking something up here, okay. Sam. Yep, um, go right on ahead. Because it is the op- it is the um, production company that made this film called TriStar Pictures. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see when they uh, shut down, and it looks like uh, 1991. Is it still going? Early era, Sony era. Oh, okay, got bought by Sony. Okay. I just haven't seen the TriStar pictures that Pegasus horse running and that sound of uh, uh, that tune, mm-hmm. their theme. I fucking love it. It just brings back such great memories for me. So I had to put it in here. I miss that logo and I miss that. I miss that uh, that theme song. Hmm. Movie starts with uh, the Jerry Goldsmith score. Uh, I. I don't pay a lot of attention to the billing of movies. But I try to at times, and I did notice that Michael Douglas is the only one that got above the title billing. Hmm. Sharon Stone was not above the title. Well, Just... I mean, at the time, she was nobody. Yep. Uh, s- movie starts. Hot sex. Right off the bat. Yeah, this is... They just get right into it. They don't They're wait. like, we know why you're here. Yeah. Here's some people fucking. Um, like, I'm gonna... We're, we're gonna probably say this time and time again the one thing in this film that i think surprised me on this rewatch i haven't watched this movie in a long time and i was really looking forward to it like i said i've seen this movie a lot some scenes more than others this would have been a scene i probably watched at least the first part a little bit more Uh, watching this movie with a critical eye we touched upon it in non-spoilers. This movie is gorgeously shot. Yes. This movie is beautiful to look at, not just because of the delicious eye candy on screen, but the cinematography and especially the lighting. There's a scene later on where I really want to talk about the lighting in it. Mm-hmm. This movie is, Verhoeven is a great visual artist. This movie is beautiful to look at. And this whole scene sets up a later sex scene to increase the tension 
we see... I think this is even brought back twice, right? Yep. Yeah, this is brought back twice. And the tension of in both of those scenes this th- fully tricked me. Like, yeah, the cinematic technique used here to, like, the, the setup and the callback where she reaches under the sheets for the ice pick. Yep. Um, we have it in a sex scene later where her and Michael Douglas are having sex and he already suspects that she's a killer yep and he doesn't know if he's going to die so we the audience also don't know if he's going to die and it's a really tense scene yep um and then uh in the in the conclusion of the movie as well and yeah honestly both times it's brought back i thought he was dead where did i want to go with that i want hmm. to go there somewhere Sorry, i think i cut you off no oh so the woman is on top mm-hmm. and we're not getting glimpses of her face which is great the he gets tied up this is the setup and payoff later on the score ramping up to increase the tension uh this is what i want to ask you watch this on netflix yes yes do you i i own this movie so i watched my version how well do you remember the graphic nature of this murder I mean, it's pretty graphic. I mean... Do you recall seeing him getting stabbed in the face? Uh, I don't. Okay. I don't recall that. Just because there is a director's cut, Mm. which adds about 45 seconds to the entire film, and part of it is that in this... The two big parts I can remember is this opening murder scene is much more violent, and the big sex scene in the middle... Uh, is even more graphic. Yeah. Um, so I can't recall um, which version, but um, he's murdered with an ice pick. Brutal. Did she let him come first? Well, that that's really the question. I mean, I think further analysis will be required on this. Yeah. But uh, those watching on home video definitely already came. Yeah. So if it's enough time for them, I think. I mean, he probably. Uh, I don't know. That's that's a great question. All right. I, I think I'm, I honestly don't have a good answer for you on that. If she killed him before he came, then she's a bitch. Yeah, that's just rude. That is rude. That's actually that's just poor manners. Yeah. 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 Poor poor bed etiquette. Poor yes. Bedicate. Bedicate. Yeah. Love it. We cut to the crime scene. Find out that it's an ice pick. Uh, this becomes very famous. Ice pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, numerous jokes about his death. From the uh, crime scene investigators. Yep. I wonder, if is this common, do you think? I think it is. I, I think um, if you've ever hung out with people who work in very grim professions, as we actually do, mm-hmm. they often have very, very dark senses of humor. I think part of it is a coping mechanism. You see enough fucked up shit, and just kind of the way that your brain begins to process it is you either let it fuck you up, or you let it fuck up your sense of humor. Yep. I've, uh, I mean... If you ever hang out with a cop, I have I have a couple of either current cops or ex cops that mm-hmm. I that I know. Um, my uh, my uh, my stepmom, I guess you would call her, is a former RCMP officer. She has one of the darkest senses of humor I've I've ever I've ever encountered. I, I love her already. Yeah. <laughs> so this is where we meet Nick Nick Curran, I believe his last name mm-hmm. is, and uh, we don't get to hate him yet. Uh, but it's not going to take much longer for us to uh, uh, work on our disdain for this character. Already set up at this crime scene, uh, the uh, 
the internal affairs office, or I think in the scene it's referred to it just as the chief's office or something like that, is uh, is sitting in on on the investigation. Yeah. So already they're kind of hinting like, oh, something something needing to be observed here, something maybe not quite right with Nick. Yeah. So that's already being set up here. Um, as he's leaving, his his supervisor reminds him that he still has to make his three o'clock appointment. So yeah. Another running. thing being set up is. You know, there's. I I thought that he was gonna go to like AA or something like that. Yep, but uh, not quite. So him and his partner Gus go to uh, find um, Johnny Boz. Is that right? Well, Johnny Boz is the guy who was murdered. Yeah, I was just trying to remember if that was his name. Okay, yeah. To find his girlfriend, Catherine Tremell. Yes. They go to her her house, and we meet uh, an attractive woman. And it's not Catherine. It's Roxy. Roxy. Yeah. Who's a friend. And tells them that she's at the beach house. That they're wasting their time. Yep. She didn't kill Johnny. She didn't kill Johnny. Okay. <laughs> we'll if, see. If you say so, Roxy. Yeah. Well, shit. Now we got to find the new suspect. I guess she didn't do it. Yep. God damn it. God Shortest movie ever. Damn it. <laughs> so they head to the beach house. Fuck that house is gorgeous. Yeah, oh my and god, that view is unbelievable. Yeah, and the and the water isn't bad either. Yeah, I want to be rich. <laughs> yeah, I want to be rich. Yeah, she's like a they say she's like a hundred millionaire, right? Like, yeah, she's just made of money. Yeah, uh, inherited the money from her parents' death, and she's a very successful novelist. And she's already a widow. So, oh right, I think it's uh, kind of Manny impl- Vasquez. Yeah, so I think it's kind of implied that she would have gotten a, a bunch of money from him as well. Yep. And uh, also highly intelligent. Oh, yeah. Yes. I think they said she has a degree in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so we meet her, and she's so fucking confident. Mm-hmm. It's here in this very first scene where we meet her. Well, we've already kind of met her. We meet her. No, we're in spoilers. We, we're not, we don't know if it's her at this point, though. Yeah. We don't know if it's unless you don't know what a naked Sharon Stone looks like. Um, well, at this point in 1992, in the theater, many people probably didn't know no. on first watch what a naked Sharon Stone looked like. Well, she, you did get to see her boobs in Total Recall. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. Sweet. Have you seen Total Recall? I haven't. It's one of the ones that I I actually own it and uh, have right. have not opened it. So, don't like it. So I've heard it's good sci-fi. Yeah. On this rewatch, I. Like I I had mentioned earlier, one, it was so fucking awesome to see such a confident female character. Mm -hmm. Now, back then, it was literally mind-blowing. Yeah. Now, it's even more impressive and delightful to see. Two, the way that she is just completely in charge from moment one is just fucking awesome which leads into a little uh, two other later scenes where she is just master class manipulating everyone around her Mm -hmm. i fucking love it she's so fucking hot it was such a nice reminder of my very to see my very first girlfriend on screen she is fucking gorgeous and is such a powerful character 
Manny, uh, I mentioned to you off air that it's uh, normally I try to watch these movies as close to the recording date as possible. So they're fresh in my mind. Yeah. This one I had to do a few days ago because I had a busy week. Yeah. Uh, you'll have to remind me why at this point in the movie I have the note that's simply the word littering with an exclamation mark. I believe it's when she's smoking. Did she throw her cigarette or yeah, something? Yeah, she just like flicks her cigarette. Yeah. Uh, that was the complete normal thing to do back then. Yeah, just piss, piss me off. Just like, Is it because we've had so many fires? <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. Holy shit. Our entire pro- if you're listening to this from anywhere other than British Columbia, our province has nearly burnt down like three of the last four years. Uh, so so is, so is California, and this is in California. That's true. There, There's a drought, lady. Catherine Trammell killed Johnny Boz. Yeah. Just run spoilers. <laughs> and it's only... And burned down California. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, it's now my headcanon that Catherine Trammell is responsible for the California wildfires. All right. Uh, he heads to his appointment. Um, I don't know when the change in attitude about therapy was, but I can tell you this, as I'm sure you're aware, that he doesn't take his therapy seriously. Mm-mm. This was very common back then that therapy was kind of looked down upon that I think it was a sign of emasculation mm-hmm. that why do you need a shrink to get yourself right? Just get yourself right. Yeah. And so this was really common back then. Anytime I watch any properties from the 90s, not just movies, but uh, TV as well. Yep. Like therapy is always discussed in this manner. Yeah. And it, and obviously, because we're going back further in the 80s, it is as well. Yeah. So th- I didn't know if like if you if this seemed out of place. No, like not for, for the era. It didn't. Okay, no. cool. I'm, this already this seemed right at home for me. Um, we learned that he has quit drinking. He has quit cocaine and he's quit smoking yeah. in here, and that he. I think I'm pretty sure this is where we learned that he did accidentally kill some tourists, and that's why he's being forced into this therapy. Yeah. Uh, later, I, is it later that we discover that he actually has shot many people? Yeah, we find Oof. out a little bit later that he this isn't his first. Oh man, shoot. in our in our current political climate surrounding cops, this is uh this is a this is a rough thing to have in a movie. Already, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of squirming and going, ooh, I don't know if I like this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we are we are like a not even a third of the way through the movie. Um, we do learn that he's fucking his therapist. And right there, we're like, well, well not, not the greatest guy. <laughs> yeah. This is, and this is our main protagonist. All right. Mm-hmm. So. By the way, I think the the only thing I can think of uh, that I know Gene Triplehorn from besides this is uh, Waterworld. I think that's the only thing I know her from. She had a pretty short run of some pretty big movies. Um, like, like I said, this is her film debut. Uh, then she kind of transferred into TV. She was a pretty big part of a, I think it was pretty popular, but also pretty critically renowned um, show I never watched called Big Love mm. um, about um, like sister wives. I don't know. I, I, I hate to throw anything. I, I don't know if it is a Mormon family because I think Mormons, do Mormons have multiple wives? I yes. Think? Yep. Okay. Uh, and as a matter of fact, you're bang on. It stars Bill Paxton as the patriarch of a fundamentalist Mormon family in Gene contemporary Horn, Utah. Gene Triplehorn, Chloe Sevigny. Correct. And I, the third one, you're going to tell me, and I'm going to get angry that I forgot it. Uh, Jennifer Goodwin. Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, and it does take place in contemporary Utah, uh, and the family practices polygamy. Yeah, so you, you were bang on on all uh, all fronts. Yeah, from what I heard, the show is really good. Hmm. I think it garnered quite a bit of like Emmy nominations and stuff okay. like that, and Emmy wins. Um, but yeah, Jean Triplehorn, uh, she's an actress that I like. Uh, I, th- she's, I think she's, well, not. And when I say great, I mean I don't mean like award worthy, but she was great in Waterworld. Yeah. yeah, yeah. God, I want to watch that again. <laughs> Waterworld's fun. It is fun. Got a really bad rep. It it really does. I that was a that was a fun review with you. Is it a great movie? No. No. Is it a fun movie? Absolutely. Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> I was so happy you enjoyed that movie. Yeah, it was. It was good. I think I gave it a three. Yeah. The. Uh, so the detectives and everything, they're having a discussion on the crime scene. This is where we learn that Catherine is highly intelligent and supremely rich. Um, my boy, my boy, Stephen Tobolowsky shows up as a psychologist. Ned Ryerson? Yep. Yeah. Uh, a great one-scene role. He's uh, he's an actor I always enjoy when he shows up. Um, he shows up in a movie, I hope. I'm hoping that you'll check out. I don't know. It's it's not streaming anywhere, so you might not. You might have to rent it if you want. But it's one I'd recommend. It's called Sneakers. Hmm. It's a it's a really fun little like heist adventure movie with an incredible cast. Uh, and he play he's got uh, a small role in it that is uh, very enjoyable. Uh, they talk about how her book is her alibi she wrote about this very murder okay let's yeah. talk about that all right uh this does not i am not a professional detective yes i'm not a law professional or expert this does not feel like the way alibis are supposed to work correct this feels incorrect yeah like they say well writing the book gives you an alibi and she goes yes i guess it does doesn't it she's all smug like no it doesn't no it's not what an alibi is at all no. <laughs> Also, we didn't touch upon it, uh, and the writer talks about how this was a glaring mistake in his writing of the screenplay. Mm. <clears throat> uh, uh, DNA would solve this case in a heart in in a nanosecond. Yeah, DNA <laughs> evidence was already quite prevalent yes, at this time. But there's no talk of DNA. Mm. Uh, one little swab on Johnny Boz's cock. Yeah. Uh, to find out what fluid is on it would solve this case uh, in mere seconds. I think, I think they have an idea of what fluid was on it. It's <laughs> <laughs> not whose fluid. Yeah, that's what I meant is okay, whose it was, gotcha. not what. Yeah. The um, So they decide they want to bring her in for questioning. And they are worried that she's going to call. She's so rich, she'll call in a lawyer. And Nick's like, she's not going to call in a lawyer. Yeah. She she needs us to know like how smart she is, basically. Yeah. So Nick goes to her house. Uh, she wants to get changed. and Into something more appropriate. Something more appropriate. Makes you wonder what she was wearing before. <laughs> uh, does not bring her attorney. Waves her right to an attorney. Uh... They get in the car, her, Gus, and Nick, and this is where we've already had one great scene uh, with Catherine. Here's the next one as she just mind fucks Nick in this car ride. Mm -hmm. Asks for a cig. Nick's like, I don't smoke. She tells him that won't last. Then she pulls out one of her own 
And he's like, I thought you said you didn't have any. She's like, oh, I found one. <laughs> just fucking power playing. Just manipulating these men like fucking puppets. Yeah. She flirts so well. And again, I wrote down, she's so hot. That's probably in your notes several times. It is. And part of it is that Sharon Stone is undeniably beautiful. Mm -hmm. She is a very attractive woman. But it's also her sexual self-confidence that makes her so hot. Yeah. It's not just that she's breathtakingly gorgeous. It's also just that the sheer confidence to walk into a room and dominate all these people and just be like, you all know that I did this and you are going to get nothing from me. Yeah. Also, I'm going to turn you all on while I'm at it. Yeah. (laughs) Which leads us right into the interrogation scene. She learns that Nick uh, called his shot on her not bringing a lawyer. I, I do like, we talked about the flashy camera work, the editing and the camera work in this scene is excellent it's really really good and one of my favorite aspects of it is um sometimes directors can overdo hard zooms they can throw a little too many of them into movies it can be a little distracting when they're used tastefully in the right spot it can be so great and when they uh they do just a hard zoom on her face when she leans in and says i'd have to be pretty dumb to write a book about a murder and then murder somebody in the exact way that i described it and it just zooms out on her, like, just to point out, yep, they totally called it. That's her defense. Yep. It's such a, like, a, a small moment in the movie. I remember just being like, damn, that's so cool. Yeah. Like, it's such a great shot. It's great. There's no smoking in here, Miss Tremel. What are you going to do? Arrest me for smoking? Another great setup and callback. When that's called back later, it's, uh, it, it's very much showing the effect that Catherine is having on Nick. Yep. Very cool. I love that line. Uh, this scene is lit so dramatically. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no interrogation room that looks like this. No. <laughs> but it's lit so perfectly. And I love that she is dead center in the room. And these men kind of have her surround, like, not surrounded, but uh, fanned out. Mm-hmm. And she is in complete control in this room. She has every single one of these men wrapped around her finger, and she knows it. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes this scene so fun because you have these men in power, these men that are trying to find out or hopefully trick her into admitting something so they can prosecute her. And she's just like, you guys have no idea (laughs) what you're up against. And then she just toys with them. Uh, great performance in the scene by Wayne Knight. Yes. Wayne Knight is awesome in the scene as somebody who is just barely holding it together by the skin of his teeth. He is just, his his mind is racing. He's sweating. Yeah. He is quite visibly distracted. Yes. <laughs> and he is just, he is not doing a good job of holding it together. She continues her mind fuckery and assault on Nick. Have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick? Yeah. Another another close-up shot of her. Yeah. Woo! Um, the leg crossing. Or uncrossing. Uncrossing. Now, in the research, and we're going to dive into this pretty heavily when we get into trivia, mm-hmm. but a couple of things I read is that you actually don't see her vagina. Mm-hmm. You actually, it's her thigh. And I watched it a couple times, 
and I can see the argument. It's the curve of her thigh mm-hmm. is what you think is her vagina. Right. And I only because sadly the pause and stuff on my Blu-ray player in my room is finicky. So I meant to actually bring it up on here. I wonder if I could do that quickly. <laughs> I think I probably could. Trying to bring up the specific shot of Sharon Stone's crotch yep. for, for research purposes. For research. And and I do actually mean that for research purposes. Yeah, it is. Okay. okay. Um, so what exactly is it on? I guess it's on Netflix. You'll Why don't you okay. talk about the leg crossing scene while I bring this up? Okay. Well, this is obviously the most iconic moment of the movie. This is what we talked about earlier when I said there's one very famous scene. This has been homaged and ripped off and referenced countless, countless times. Um, this is the defining moment of the movie and i think it has such a great effect not only because we see what we see but also it's just an important moment for the writing of the movie and the writing of the character because it shows to what length she's willing to go to use her sexuality to manipulate the men around her it's so very obvious what she's doing but nobody can stop her from doing anything because she's who she is because she's gorgeous and the fact that it comes so early on in the movie, I think it's like a third of the way through, just goes so far to establishing what a fucking <laughs> what a fucking confident person and what a fucking psychopath she she truly is. Uh, Manny, how are we doing over there with the clip? Uh, yeah, okay. Okay, oh, come okay, over here. come over here. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm coming over. All right. So we're I'll turn this up so they can kind of hear. It. Okay. We know you're not stupid, Mr. Mel. Maybe that's your counting on to get you off the hook. Writing the book gives you an alibi. We're at 2655 of the movie, which will just be... The answers don't. Here we go. Should be right here. Do you use drugs, Mr. Mel? Sometimes. Do you ever use drugs with Mr. Barr? See? Yeah, but isn't there a close-up shot, too? Yep. Oh, God, that fucking reaction by him. (laughs) Okay. That, I don't know, man. See? I mean, that shot, but I wish you'd go frame by frame. I know. I wish I could, too. (laughs) Okay, here we go. And... See? It is... It's very close. You have... basically have to stop it frame by frame to see it yeah i don't know i still think it's close it's definitely i can't believe i can't believe we're doing this one one. more i know one more time one more time okay that's definitely thigh and here we go and the shadow covers it yeah so yeah all right there's massive controversy about that scene i don't know if you saw any of the yeah so she has she has said uh that that was not really cleared with her yeah um what is not clear to me in her her story i didn't do any research really on this so Mm -hmm. maybe you can clarify this for me i don't know how you get that shot by accident okay if that makes like i don't know how you show up to shoot a scene without any underwear and a short dress like that and uncross your legs and have it not be planned okay let's get into that in trivia okay sure Wayne Knight's reaction to this section. Oh, delicious. <laughs> Best supporting actor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it is 
some of the best reaction shots. Yeah. Ever. And it's really just this one scene for him, hey? Yeah. 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 Uh, he's unbelievable. Just sweating all because of her. Uh, she asks Nick yet again if he wants a cigarette, knowing full well that he has said that he has quit smoking and has repeatedly said that he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. She continues to just fucking manipulate him. Just poking and prodding. Yep. Looking for an opening. Um, their shock that she fucks without emotion is so foreign to them. They can't process the idea that this woman enjoys sex without feelings the same way that men do. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah, just a completely foreign concept, yep. baffling to them. Yep. And it only increases the intrigue that they feel towards her. Yes, and this was huge back then. I, I honestly, th- this is 30 years ago, and this is what I was brought up on, is that like women didn't enjoy sex as much as men did. Hmm. And there was nothing but slut-shaming going around. I am happy to say that I don't ever recall slut-shaming. I grew up in a very female-centered upbringing. You and I both had a lot of female friends growing up. So I think for both of us, I think we've talked about this, we just, I I don't get, like, it's it's such an obvious double standard that it's just never made sense to me. Same. It's so clear and, like, I get societal forces will push people towards certain opinions but that has always been such a clear and obvious double standard that i've never understood it that it's okay for men to fuck whoever they want but not for women yeah it's so stupid i'm with you um she takes a lie detector and comes out clean she's not lying she didn't kill johnny boss this is a trope that i really hate i'm they kind of draw attention to it which makes it a little bit more okay but the infallible, the alleged infallibility <laughs> of the of the polygraph yeah. is so stupid. Yeah, we've known for a long, long time, basically since the invention of the polygraph, that it's very fallible. Yes, it's not admissible as court evidence nope. because it's it's so easily tricked. Yes, so the fact in that, both directions. Yeah, and law enforcement officials know this and have known this for a long time. Yep, uh, but it just keeps coming up. In, in movies like this. That's just an easy trope to use. Yeah. Just, oh, well, she passed a polygraph. She must she must be telling the truth. I, I believe her. Yeah. I believe you, Catherine. Yeah. Justice for Catherine. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Let's get the hashtag going. Uh, uh, oh. But, uh, one of the things that it is used for, I mean, first of all, Nick instantly knows. He's like, mm, nope, she could still be lying. We can beat these things. So it brings up a little bit of the, the skeletons in his closet that it implies that he knows that it can be beaten because he beat it himself. Yes. He says, I've seen it been beaten. Yeah. I know somebody who beat it. Yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. In- intimately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's about to get intimate with somebody else that's beat it, too. Hey-o. Uh, so yeah, you, you beat it getting intimate to this movie, too. <laughs> I cannot tell you. Hold on. This might be the thing I've masturbated the most to. Yeah. It's this or Showgirls. Thank you, Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. For both. Yes. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. I owe a lot to you. Yeah. I'm trying to think of... Yeah, it's got to be this. This... Yeah, it's this or Showgirls. Anyways, I'm sure everyone wants to know that. Um, <laughs> well, now we do. Yeah. Too bad. I'm not editing it out. Um, Nick drives her home. And this scene, it's a short scene, but he's driving her home in the rain, in the car, and they're having another... She just continues the fucking mind games. Mm-hmm. The lighting in this is so superb with the rain and the light reflecting off the window and the rain on their faces. Oh, I just watching this. I'm like, 
this is so fucking gorgeously shot. It's old I, school. Uh, yeah. This movie, uh, in a lot of the reviews, I saw it getting compared to Hitchcock. It was called Hitchcockian. Yeah. Uh, and it's shots like these that kind of draw that comparison. The the real overemphasis on light and shadow, which definitely uh, gets it into noir category. Uh, yeah, it's so fucking cool. And it's such a rarity in color modern color film to see this sort of emphasis on shadow. Yeah. And it's so fucking cool. Uh I was listening to a podcast on Basic Instinct by one of my favorite podcasts, The Rewatchables, mm. and uh, I'm so glad you brought up Hitchcock because his opening line to the podcast was, this movie puts the cock in Hitchcock. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> That's like great line. Uh, so Nick goes to the uh, standard cop bar. Um, he tells everyone uh, that she knows how to beat the lie detector, and he's very suspicious. And he gets confronted by internal affairs, who just happen to be going to the same cop bar as the cops that they investigate. I love that he's just sitting right by all of his friends, but nobody ever says, hey, Nick, there's the fucking guy that's investigating you. Yeah, just so you're aware, maybe chill out on the on the booze just for tonight. Yeah. Um, I love that he calls him Shooter. Mm-hmm. It's such a great dig. Fuck, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I guess not a plot hole, but just a... An odd coincidence, maybe, that the IA the IA guys have the same nickname for him as Catherine does, and they have not interacted in any way, have they? She she hasn't she hasn't called him shooter yet. Yeah, but she will call him shooter because she gets the file. Yeah, but I have to imagine that the name shooter wouldn't be in that file in a in an official police report. But remember how she got the file. She got it from IA, yeah. the guy that calls him. Gotcha. Shooter. Okay, then that's cool. Yeah. That's a cool detail. Because she would, because she would have wanted to know anything she she could about Nick. So he's probably like he probably in passing probably calls him shooter because that's what he refers to him as. So he probably says it in their conversation. She's like, well, that makes sense. So yeah. I'm just gonna call him that. You know, a comparison just popped into my head, and I'm just gonna float this out there for you. Yeah, yeah. As far as a. Insofar as we'll define Catherine as a villain, uh, very similar to John Doe in the in the sense of the preparation, like the amount of work that went in behind the scenes mm-hmm. to their plan is revealed to us kind of throughout the movie. And of course, they're both psychopathic killers. Yes. So uh, kind of reminds me allegedly. of John. Allegedly, guys. She was never charged. Yeah. Justice for Catherine. Yes. The hashtag is already gaining steam. Yeah. Believe the women. <laughs> believe Catherine. yeah um beth shows up and and saves nick from uh, uh attacking uh the ia agent mm-hmm. uh and they go to her place which leads us to the most problematic scene of the film oh you're referring to uh the rape scene yes. i believe yes I'm I'm hoping that this is what you were referring this to. This is exactly what I okay. was referring to. And you mentioned something in there that made me very happy because this scene was not okay in 1992. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff when we're when we're going back to these older movies in the in the early 90s and as we continue to go back, a lot of this stuff I will use the term, it hasn't aged well. Yes. I don't think this qualifies because at the time people were like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. What the fuck is this scene? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he... Okay, so here are my notes in the exact order. Let's go. Um, they... St- 
start pretty hot and heavy. Verhoeven's camera movements are great in the close-ups. There's a lot of kind of wide shots, which I will get to in trivia. He knows how to shoot sex scenes. Mm-hmm. The man is very skilled at them. This is pre-Showgirls, right? Correct. Yeah, a movie I haven't seen, but I know is famous for its nudity and I assume sex scenes. The sex scenes in Showgirls are not sexy. Okay. They are unintentionally funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, here's the notes. Things start to heat up. Then gets a little rapey. Then gets full rapey. And then he comes fast. Yeah. Like really fast. Yep. Those are my notes on this scene. Uh, I don't really have a lot of notes on this scene. Uh, I was, I was kind of just in pure shock mode at this point. Um, incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Incredibly unnecessary. So at this point in the movie, pre-rape, I am already going, well, this Nick character is kind of a dick. He's murdered innocent people. He's back He's back on the booze so irresponsibly. He's clearly going to try pursuing this suspect romantically and or sexually, um, which is a terrible idea. Um, there's very little about this person that I like. He doesn't seem very smart. Usually if you have a bad person in a movie, you, you at least make them smart. Yeah. He doesn't even have that going for him. Nope. So I just don't like this person at this point. And then you add on to that rapist. And this is just, this is just me. This, this is the character losing all credibility, all benefit of the doubt in this scene. Uh, this, this is a huge writing problem. <laughs> it's not just the scene itself. It makes the rest of the movie less watchable because I can't root for this person. He's so he's so he's evil. Yeah, he's an he's a murderer and he and he's raped as well. And it's baffling to me that this is included in the movie. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with some rough sex as long as it's consensual. Hundred percent. We are not kink shaming anybody here. All they needed to do to make this scene okay was mute out the no. And I think at one point she says no. And at one point, she says, Nick, stop. Yes, that's right. Yeah, she, there's those two lines. Or you can insert a line of like, hey, don't stop unless you hear the safe word. Just have her say that at the beginning of the scene. Don't stop unless you hear the safe word. Then cool. Yeah. Yep, that's fine. But uh, nope, this is this is rape. Full on rape. Yep. So the after sex cuddles, I mean, after rape cuddles. Yeah. Um, she talks about Catherine. And reveals that they went to school together. Nick calls her out on this being problematic, but then doesn't really follow up on it. Yeah, and this is not hypocritical at all, by the way. Yes. I mean, like, wow, that's so problematic. <laughs> While he's already, I mean, A, uh, had some inappropriate conversations with her. Mm-hmm. And B, I will reiterate, just raped somebody. So, yeah, pot and kettle and all that. So Nick decides to tail Catherine and uh, follows her. Uh, I believe she's driving a Lotus. And they race on this uh, one-lane highway on the side, uh, beside the ocean. Uh, Very well shot. Uh, Michael Douglas did a lot of his own stunt driving because he actually used to be a race car driver. Dude, the stunt work in this movie is fucking incredible. Right? The stunt driving is really, really good. Yeah. All in-camera wide shots go. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. It's really great. But she has to see him, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like she obviously she she knows Nick and she knows 
she's like 20 chess moves ahead of him. So you say chest moves? Chest. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Freudian slip. No. When you say one thing but really mean your mother. I mean another. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I always remember, I've told you before, like I grew up on these movies. A lot of, sadly, a lot of my ideals and my thoughts on pretty much everything in life were formed from movies. I can't remember if I told you not, because I, I told to somebody, I can't remember if it was you, but like my fear of drugs. Oh, yeah. You, you told me that it came from, I thought it was Requiem for a Dream, but it was no. actually, I can't remember. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, there you go. Okay, Lethal Weapon. Because Lep- somebody did cocaine and jumped off a roof. Yes. Yeah, we did talk about this. Okay. My fear of passing illegally comes from this movie. Well, that's just that's just good <laughs> sense, though. Yes, yeah. but my fear of it, my fear of getting into a car accident is from this movie and that bus and him. Yeah, it's shot so well. Yeah, it's, it's very edited tense. perfectly. It's so great, but yeah, terrified me. My only note in this scene is that is a double solid, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Again, at this point in the movie, I'm already kind of checked out on the Nick character. I already don't wish good things to happen to him. But I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, this is this is so stupid to be driving like this right now. Yeah. This is uh, one of the very many, the interrogation scene being one. This is another really well edited scene, mm-hmm. is this chase scene. Uh, he follows her. She's visiting some older lady. Um, Nick follows her. And then she completely dumps him. Mm-hmm. He is not a good tail. Not very good. Nope. As we just realized in the previous scene, uh, he finishes fast when he's from behind. Um, no? Okay. Come on. Come on. Come on. That was good. I liked it. Uh, Nick goes to her beach house. He creepily watches her change because he is a all-around good guy. All-around good guy, Nick Curran. Oh, all-around good guy, Nick Curran, for sure. Uh, then he heads back to the office, researches the old lady, and she is a murderer who murdered her husband and three kids in 1956 and was released from prison in 1965. That's nine years. For, for just an entire family murder. A quadruple homicide. She gets nine years. Just a casual one. Yep. So she goes to Catherine's. She brings out the ice pick on purpose. Yep. Guess what? I'm going to bring out the murder weapon right in front of you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yep. How do you like them apples? Watch me do this, Nick. Nicky boy. This is where she calls him shooter. Yeah. And then she starts to pry into his mind, starts to play more mind games, starts calling him Nicky, which is the same thing his wife called him. Mm-hmm. Then she fucking drops the bomb. That's why your wife killed herself. But boom. <laughs> just this is a lot right here. She is literally skull fucking him. There's, what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? Roxy arrives, <clears throat> makes it apparent that she's more than a friend. Mm-hmm. And Nick now knows that Catherine has some unprecedented access into his deepest fears, his knowledge, everything. Yeah, she's able to manipulate him. She's got the advantage. She's got the information advantage right now. Yeah, and he and he knows there's only one place that that information 
was available, and that's with Beth. Mm -hmm. So he finds out that his file has been accessed by Internal Affairs because they're investigating him. Is that legal? Because he's being ordered to do this therapy because of the shooting. I'm going to say, well, obviously the selling of the information is illegal. and That's that's what IA does. I'm talking about Beth releasing that information to... I'm going to say that's probably not illegal, but a violation of... uh, patient doctor confidentiality which would which would revoke her license revoke her license i doubt she would face any legal repercussions for this but she could well she could uh, a civil lawsuit maybe yeah again as we've established not a law expert over here but that's that would be my best guess i don't think she'd be facing any prison time or anything like that so beth comes over they get into a huge fight and she tells him that she allowed IA to see his files to try and save his job Mm -hmm. because she didn't think that there was anything in there that that they could use against him. Unbeknownst to her that Catherine would get her hands on it to completely continue to fucking own Nick. Turns out, uh, I better find this fucking character's name. The IA agent that is just all over his ass winds up dead uh nielsen yes Nielsen. played by daniel von bargen yep who was also in uh both seinfeld and super troopers which is where i know him from for sure ah i like both of those uh both of those properties he he's in silence of the lambs oh he's in a lot of good he's in a lot of crimson tide yep he's Rachenko. yes Yes, he is. Uh, he's in. He was uh, one of the jury members in Philadelphia. Oh, I didn't know he died. Yeah. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, he's been a lot of stuff that I've seen. A lot of stuff that I like. Hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, Daniel Van Bergen, big fan. Hmm. He turns up dead. Uh, they. Who is it? Where is he? His captain or whoever it is, uh, Lieutenant Phil Walker, his lieutenant, asks for his gun. They said it was a thirty-eight. He has a Beretta, and he smells the gun. <laughs> like, yeah. The shoddy police work in here is unbelievable. Again, DNA, I will, uh, I will reiterate. Um, they interrogate Nick. Beth sits in. Here's the payoff. Can't smoke in here. Yeah. What are you going to do, charge him with smoking? Yeah. Uh, and he gets put on leave. Hmm. Suspended. Nikki goes home and he finds Catherine's there. She continues to masterfully flirt with him and completely play mind games with him. Uh, Nick pulls out like this chunk of ice. Does nobody own ice cube trays? Right? <laughs> I'm thinking the exact same thing at this point. I know she says she likes sharp edges. I think it's kind of implied that he got it for her. But, yeah, ice cube trays, dude. Yeah. Easy. Like, that would be, like... It's free ice. Don't get me wrong. Like, like having the ice pick and, like, chipping it off. Like, I won't lie. Like, that... I've done that before, and it's kind of fun. Yeah. But, like, if I'm thirsty... Like, if I wanted to have ice in this, I got to pull out a fucking ice block. No. I got to fucking chip away at it. Yeah. And then, uh, no, man. I just yeah. want to fucking stick my hand in the fucking ice cubes, dump them in my drink, and be on my way. I don't necessarily need to feel like an archaeologist just to get a fucking drink in my Agreed. hand. 
they flirt more and continue this incredible sexual tension. They do them. have really good uh, flirtation and sexual tension. Yeah. Uh, this is part of the reason why the nomination for worst actor for Michael Douglas is just completely baffling to me is that they play off each other super well, especially in the prior scene where they're like almost kissing. Yes. And they don't actually fully kiss. I, I'm barely listening to what they're saying. If I'm being honest, <laughs> I'm like, just kiss. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh I guess we'll see why he was nominated because we're going to watch Shining Through next week. Yeah, oh boy. He goes to the club. Now, goes to a nightclub, which I'm assuming, I would have to assume 99% of our listeners have been to a club, if not all of them. Yep. I don't think we really cater to a younger crowd. No. And if, if you're below the age of 18 listening to this, I've got news for you. This is an R-rated movie, guys. Yeah. You can't even be listening to this. Yeah. The police are coming to your door. Get the fuck off this podcast. <laughs> Please don't stop listening. We need the listenership. Yeah, we, sh- we sure do. Mostly for our own egos. Yes. And mostly mine because I'm a narcissist. Yeah. So Nick is going to a nightclub, which uh, with all those people and all that dancing is going to be pretty hot. And he decides he's going to wear a sweater. A low V-cut sweater. Don't be sweaty. Yeah. What I love about scenes like this, though, at nightclubs and stuff like that, I love looking at the fringe of the screen to watch the extras dance because I know that when they were filming this, there was no music being played Hmm. to see if everybody's in some type of rhythm. And are they? Sometimes. Sometimes not. (laughs) And it's really fun to notice. In-ear monitors would solve that, but getting in-ears for an entire crowd of extras would be very expensive and very... In, in 1992? Yeah. Not happening. Yeah, not happening. Not happening. <laughs> but it's for me, it's a lot of fun. I love watching that because I love watching behind-the-scenes footage of people of when they shoot nightclub scenes, and the characters are yelling because they have to yell because it's supposed to be over music, but there's no music being played, so it's just the silent room, and they're yelling. It's it's fucking awesome. I just I tip my cap to actors. Yeah, that it's it's a small thing that I love. Acting is hard, man. It is hard. It's very hard. It is hard. <laughs> uh, he follows Catherine to the bathroom, where she's having a menage a trois coke bump. You're, you're killing it with vocabulary tonight. The menage a trois. Thank you. You had a, you threw out ingenue earlier. I did. And I forgot to point it out, but like, <laughs> but great. Thanks. I was a fan of that. Had to Google it. <laughs> you used it correctly. I'm delighted to say. <laughs> Thank you. I have to make up for when I misused penultimate. Yeah. What did you think it was? Uh, penultimate, I thought, was uh, past ultimate. Not, mm, not No, pr- it's uh, second to last. Yes. Is what it means. Yes. <sighs> it bothered me. Yeah. Well, um, now we know. Hmm? But now we know. We make yeah, mistakes. We did. Yeah. I, I make lots of them. And we learn. Uh, I made a mistake once. It was awful. What, join this podcast? No. <laughs> that was one of the best decisions I ever made, Manny. Are you talking about White Herb? Yeah, that was a bad one. <laughs> that was a fun that, one. That one lives on for forever in my memory. Oh, you're talking about bats? Oh, that too. Okay, <laughs> two mistakes. record, But that's it. Those are the only two. <laughs> you ever do something embarrassing, Manny, and you think about it every day of your life for the next 10 years? <laughs> you ever do that? Yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> Uh, mine is befriending T-Bone. Um, hey, there you go. We get some dancing, uh, at least from everybody except Nick, 
whose idea of dancing is to just stare intently yeah. uh, and maybe move his shoulders yeah. a, a little bit. We don't see the white man's lip bite. No. But, the white, <laughs> the man white man's overbite? overbite? Yeah. The white man's overbite. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we don't quite see it. It felt oh. like it was coming out. but Fuck yeah, when Harry met Sally. Uh, <laughs> we get to see Roxy and Catherine have a little uh, dancey dance funs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is where Nick tries to take some power back. And what I love is it sets up this next scene, which is the sex scene, which we'll get to, and then the following scene, which is the morning after, which I'll dive into a little bit more. But Nick tries to take some of his power back as a guy, and Catherine allows him to. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love because it comes back and bites him in the ass the following morning. Mm -hmm. Catherine is definitely trying to make Roxy jealous. She gets off on that power dynamic. Little do we know that she gets off on Roxy watching her with men. Uh, and Nick has had enough. He definitely tries to take control the same way he did with Beth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he took control, all right. He does. It, he doesn't go so far as to uh, rape Catherine, mm. but you can see that his aggressive nature comes out a little bit right here. Mm hmm. And then we get to the sex scene. Uh, in the uh, in the dance scene, by the way, I think it's the first time they actually do kiss, correct? Yes. And at first, it's just it's a tiny little kiss. Yeah. And I think that ties in well to the previous scene where they're almost kissing. They kind of continue that tension and then finally give you the the payoff, the release. Yeah. Uh, and then there's going to be a whole lot more release coming up right here. <laughs> sex scene. She's so hot. She is just gorgeous. And watching this reminded me of why I've watched this movie so many times. Mm -hmm. The I watched the making of documentary on this. It's fun. Paul Verhoeven talks really fast with a pretty thick Dutch accent. Mm -hmm. So at times, it's he's almost hard to understand. Subtitles. Yeah, they, they would have helped. Mm. But this entire sex scene, I can't remember if it's in my trivia or not. Or I might have skipped it. Uh, they filmed this for five days. Ten hours a day for five days. He storyboarded everything. Oh, my God. And showed it to them. And this is what he wanted. The score is surging. <laughs> this... Again, I learned everything in life from movies. Her scratching his back terrified me. I, I, I have to say, I'm glad you brought this up because I, I really do feel for all of the women who were dating men at the <laughs> dating men who saw this movie or really just anybody who was dating somebody who saw this movie. And then they thought, I'm going to do that to my partner. And they're going to love it. <laughs> they're going to have a great time when I scratch the shit out of their back and draw blood. <laughs> I'm going to tell a story here. This should be good. I would Actually, this would have been around the time of this movie. I would have been like 16, 17. Okay. Top, no, I'm no older than 18. I was working um, at Turbo, gas station. I was working with a gentleman by the name of Ian. 
Uh, I can't remember his last name, so I won't have to worry about. Uh, shout out to the Ians getting sh- getting shout outs in the podcast. Tonight. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so this is thirty years ago. So I I don't feel bad about revealing this, and <laughs> our listenership is so small, it probably won't matter. Mm. We were this was a full serve station. <clears throat> Ian was sleeping with a regular customer of ours, oh, okay. who was married. Oh. Yes. Full on affair. So the fun part for us was watching her come in, knowing that Ian was hammering on her, and then seeing the husband come in who didn't know. Oh, that's tragic. (laughs) And the the fun part for us was, I I, I can't remember now because it's been 30 years, Mm. but we knew it's a family, so they had vehicles. It was fun seeing the husband's truck pull up, wondering, is this the day that he found out and he's coming to find Ian? Oh. And the fun part was you'd see the truck and you'd immediately look over at Ian and the fear on his face, is this the day? Now, (laughs) what I wanted to get to, I'm working with Ian. It's a Sunday morning, so we're there at the store at like 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. Ian sits down. Very genderly, very gently and tenderly. And he's like, and I jokingly go, rough night last night, buddy. Have a little too much fun. He's like, you have no idea. He stands up, turns around, lifts his shirt, and his back is raked to shit. Infinitely worse than what we saw happen to Nick. Oh, my God. Infinitely worse than what happened to Nick. I saw that, and I thought, that is cinematic. It's worse in the sense that, like, like, she broke skin, like, badly. Yeah, with one motion, though. Yes. So his back, you can see there was parts. It went shoulders to waist, all over his entire back, completely red with a few moments of skin breaks. You could see where it had scabbed. Not to the same point, like, she looked like claws, right? His looked like tiny little paper cuts. Mm. But his back... I've never seen a back like that. Wow. Ever. And it was I, I was jaw dropped. I was I said it jokingly and he turns around and his back was raked to shit. And he goes, I'll never forget this. It's thirty years later. I guess I remember. So after he shows my back, I'm like, holy fuck, he just turns, he's got this little smile, and he's like, She couldn't get enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, uh, to you, Ian. That's a great story. Yeah. Uh, did did the day ever come? No, no. Not day never came. No, not not while uh, not while he worked there. Oh, I have wow. no I have no idea. I honestly can't remember how long that uh, that affair lasted for, but uh, apparently she uh, she never uh it was they were never they were never caught, but it it was a lot of fun for a good year. A wow. good year. It was a good time. That that truck pulled up and we'd be like, oh, <laughs> do we get to see you get in a fight today? Oh, man. Today, yeah. That is that is a great work story. <laughs> yes. That belongs in a movie. <laughs> that that belongs in a screenplay for sure. <sighs> All right. So she scratches up his back. I got, I don't know. It, his reaction to getting his back ripped open almost seemed to coincide with like him reaching orgasm yes right like his reaction yep either way whatever she takes over the power has been restored yes 
starts to play some mind games with him. As she climbs on top and starts to tie him up. And, and yet they both know what the implications of this are. Tying him up with a white silk scarf yep. during sex. It's oddly reminiscent to the very case that he's investigating. Yes. This heightens his fear and his arousal. Yeah. You know what I don't like about this is not the moment itself. Like it is, it does make the scene sexier. I don't like that it's stated later when they're on the beach together and he's like, well, that's what made it. Or she says, that's what made it so hot. We don't need that line. Agreed. Like we all know that that's why it's better. Yes. We all know what's going on in this scene. We don't, we don't need it explained to us. So I I didn't like that aspect of it. Um, does he come for fear of being killed? I I guess. I didn't realize that was possible. I haven't been... I mean, we don't necessarily have to swap uh, near-death stories. I don't think I've ever been that dangerously close to death. Uh, like, at all? Or you, during sex? Like, definitely not during sex. <laughs> not even moderately close, I would say. Fair. <laughs> There's been some drunk nights, but not that drunk. I was actually talking about near-death experiences with uh, some friends of mine earlier this week. Mm. Uh, the closest I've been, we're talking about near death where we almost died. Yes. The closest I've been once is where I potentially could have drowned. Mm. It never, I never came close to drowning because I didn't panic, but I was, because of a silly mistake on my part, I was caught in the middle of the Thompson river at, with a, with a very fast current and was running out of energy. Mm. I, I've. I've swum across the Thompson River stupidly. Yeah. Stupidly. I wasn't trying to swim across it. I swam across it intentionally. Yeah. At a very narrow, narrow part of it, but I swam across it. I swam across a lake that's a little little bit wider than the Thompson River, but no, like, it's a lake, so there's no current. And I did it because I thought I could do it, and I did it, and I was like, that wasn't as hard as I thought. Hmm. I wasn't. I, I never even came close to drowning, but this one, I, I got into a little panic and started to swim harder, and ended up uh, kind of running out of energy. And I was in the middle of the Thompson River, with uh, pretty out of breath. And I, I was like, if I don't, if I, if I don't remain calm, this could be a problem. Hmm. And then I just kind of calmed down and slowly to make to to not panic. I just slowly swam back to shore just took my time knowing i could do it i'm a strong swimmer i'm not i'm yeah but i think that's i think that's the closest i've been to death so then let me ask you this did you come in your pants i was in water i don't know oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> that is the whole point of the discussion here <laughs> so to to answer your question i think i think he comes because he came because of the sex i think that's that's what it is but i think I think the, the near-death or- nature of it probably just heightened it. Just made it better. Shit. Um, did you catch her look post-coital? I don't think I did. It's evil. Evil. It's delightful. Like she knows what she just did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, after sex, he's smoking. Just like Catherine said. Okay, I've never been a cigarette smoker. Yes. The whole smoking after sex thing. I've heard it's amazing. I need somebody to explain this to me. I don't... I don't know it. Yeah. I've asked smokers because this was this is a big trope, as you Totally. See, okay? Big trope. From what I've heard, a cigarette after sex is amazing. 
That's what I've heard too. But yeah. I, I don't. But like, why? <laughs> if there, we have any smokers or ex-smokers listening to this, please send us an email or send us a message on uh, Instagram at sam underscore manny underscore movie, mm-hmm. or email us at sammannymoviepodcast at, at gmail We need to know. Need to know. Who do I know that smokes that I could ask? I'm gonna find somebody. I'm yeah. gonna get an answer for you. I'm going to get an answer for you. If, if our listeners cannot answer for us, I'm going to research this answer. Okay. We we do not rest until we get to the bottom of this. Yes. Many an orgasm quandary on tonight's show. Yes. Damn it. Who do I know that smokes? Oh. Ah. I wonder if I can ask her. <laughs> Someone a little bit, uh, little, it would be a little bit of a touchy subject. I just don't want her husband to. To think that there's something fishy going on? Yeah. Because I've. Love her husband. Okay, I'll, I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. Okay, report back with your findings, sir. All right. Uh, he gets up and goes to the washroom. Nice little ass shot. Yeah, we get Michael Douglas's butt. Yep, yep. Something for the ladies too. Yeah, something for the ladies. Well, I mean, I'm sure even even a large portion of the ladies probably appreciate Sharon Stone, right? Yeah. Fuck yeah. How could you not? I was just about to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roxy's there. Find out uh, Catherine likes it when she watches. Mm-hmm. Roxy, uh, not a big fan. Not a big fan of Nick. No. And you know what? I admire her instincts. <laughs> <laughs> when she, she like clearly doesn't like Nick in the scene, I was like, good. Roxy, scoring points. <laughs> yeah. I'm a fan of Roxy. Yeah, me I too. Like She's got good instincts. Yeah. She's really good looking too. Yes. Also very attractive. Um, do you know the actor Miguel Ferrer? Don't think so. Okay. Um, I, I, the, uh, Lilani Sorrell, who plays Roxy, uh, ends up marrying Miguel Ferrer in real life. Mm, okay, I'm just looking him up. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, he's a, he's a Clooney. Yeah, he was um he was in Traffic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think I know this guy from too much more than that. Interesting. Okay. So the next morning, uh, Nick wakes up. With a note saying that she's at the beach house. I'm a big fan of this scene. He, This is the standard male ego bullshit where he thinks he's just fucking rock. It was world. the fuck of the century. Yeah. He thinks he's the shit. It's <laughs> his line. I, because he just has a, a chat with Roxy. Uh, I told her I thought it was the fuck of the century. Well, what do you think? And she goes, I thought it was a pretty good beginning. So fucking awesome. Okay, let's let's talk about Nick's plan yeah. here. Because the main thing I want to draw attention to is that it's really stupid. The fact that he's gonna <laughs> fuck her so good that he's that she's going to slip up. I like this seems blatantly stupid to me. Yeah. Uh this is his male ego. Yeah, I know. Like it's so it's so blatantly obvious to me that this is a dumb plan that I just have trouble. I have trouble relating to this character in any sort of way. And again, when you're creating an antihero, which I don't think was the really the intention with this movie, but let's no. call him an antihero for okay. a second. At the very least, you're supposed to make them like a genius or something. You're supposed to give them like one tiny little positive quality for the audience to latch onto. I think a good example is the character of Lou Bloom from Nightcrawler, a movie I really like with Jake mm. Gyllenhaal. 
he's a fucking psychopath and a, an a monster of a human being. Understatement. But he's a hard worker. Yeah. And that's like, that's the one quality that we get for the audience. We're like, okay, we can at least respect this guy where he's coming from. Like, I don't care how many people he endangers and murders. Like, as long as, long as he's a hard worker, he puts himself out there. Way to go, buddy. <laughs> he's a blue collar psychopath. Yeah, exactly. Nick has none of that. Nope. Yeah, so him being like, I'm just going to, like, going up to her and basically saying, I'm just going to fuck you until you tell me what I want to know. Like, well, that's a genius plan, buddy. And she's like, she's like, okay. She's like, good luck with that because you're going to fall in love with me. Yeah, and she knows. Yeah. Yeah, she's very clearly the smarter character by a wide margin here. Yeah, and she basically tells him right there that she's in control. I fucking love Catherine Trammell. Yeah. I fucking love her. Yeah. He goes to see Gus. Uh, at a cowboy bar. Gus is so drunk and so fun. Rather inebriated. Hugely inebriated. Uh, his loud talking while drunk reminds me of my friend Mike. Who, when he gets drunk, we call him Tommy. Hmm. Very loud. Has no problem saying whatever he wants in any public setting. The filter is gone. Yeah, there is no filter. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, sorry. The yeah. the friend's name is Gus. Yeah. Here is it. Gus makes a crucial, crucial movie cop mistake. Do you uh, want to know what it is? Driving drunk. That too <laughs> makes an even worse one. One even more likely to result in death in a movie. Being named Gus. That's good too. Okay. Talking about retirement as a cop. Oh, I missed that. He talks about his retirement, and the second he's the word retirement came out of his mouth, I was like, dead. <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> No question. Instantly new. I'm not spoiling anything. Okay. There's, you know, that is a perfect example. There's only one film that bucks that trope. Okay. Lethal Weapon. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> and it's not a huge spoiler because, like, you know that there's four films. And in the first film, Danny Glover just talks about retiring the whole fucking time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's it's one that, like, I've, I, I'm sure, and I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. I'm sure I've told you, I, or if I haven't, but the first Lethal Weapon film, like, it's a great action film, but it's actually also a good movie. So, yeah, so you've told me. Yeah. Um, I, I, can't believe, I can't believe that Nick l- lets him drive drunk. The 90s, am I right? What is happening? It was horrible. Yeah. Uh, and then we see a vehicle slowly pulling out, and that stunt hit is impressive yeah it's the it's the only thing that we see pull out in this movie (laughs) no we see an ice pick pulled out oh that's true yeah okay two things uh yeah this scene is shot so ridiculously well it's so good these are very near misses yeah like in camera near misses this is dangerous as fuck yeah and looks awesome uh the car chase begins i don't remember this car chase being this good yeah. It's really good. Ending in a game of chicken. Yeah. Oh but my him God. driving upstairs, mm-hmm. you always see cars drive downstairs. Mm-hmm. He's driving up them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fucking crazy. Like, goodbye to your car suspension. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Also, come on. Car chases in San Francisco. It's the fucking best. Yeah. You've got to have the going up and down the uh, the iconic hills. Yes. And they play chicken. 
The Lotus goes over a bridge. Nikki runs down. Roxy's dead. Fucking killed her. At least he didn't shoot her. But he killed her. Killed another person. Yep. Another one on the list. Uh, Racking up the points. Yep, yep. Nick goes in for an evaluation. Good old Jimmy Rebhorn's there. Yeah, second uh, second week in a row. Is yeah. That, yeah, let's go. I was like, hey, he was the guy from last week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great moment here for Michael Douglas, where he once again wants nothing to do with therapy. And yeah, evaluated. shits on the guy, says, uh, I masturbated a lot as a kid. I don't look before I flood. I can't remember the whole list of yep. things that he says, but just shits all over him. Yeah. Uh, Pretty good, and then runs off. Uh, Nick goes to see Catherine again, and we see a real moment of vulnerability from Catherine. She is genuinely upset about Roxy. This is a fantastically acted scene by Sharon Stone, who, by the way, even looks gorgeous while sobbing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is like one of the best acted scenes in the movie, and I think it's a great character moment. It uh, shows that Catherine, while being a psychopath, is actually capable of emotion, capable of connection. She's genuinely really devastated that Roxy is gone. Yeah. Uh, oh, where am I? Um, the one thing I like about the scene as well that shows that <laughs> while we eventually learn uh, that Catherine is a complete psychopath, she this scene feels very genuine because she asks to make love mm-hmm. and uh what i like about this both um both the scene and the choice by verhoven is to not show this sex scene mm-hmm. uh and then they have he nick being the mastermind that he is gives a post-coital uh interrogation and this is where Catherine. Um, tell us about the girl she slept with in college that became obsessed with her. Name, uh, Oberman. Lisa Oberman. Lisa Oberman. We find out that Roxy killed her brothers when she was 16. And Nick full-on doesn't think that Catherine did it. Because she's got that magna cum laude pussy. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, what a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> if I may. Uh, goes to Berkeley for look to look for Lisa Oberman. No such person exists. She said Hoberman. She said Hoberman. Yeah, okay. Which we find out is death. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, at this, uh, like, this seems very obvious. This did not, this was part of the mystery where I was like, golly, who could it be? Could it be the only other woman who went to the school? <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed very, very obvious to me. This, yeah. this was poorly realized. It's but. super obvious. What's horrible about this movie, and it's, fo- I think, f- did I say $41 million budget? Something like that. Uh, $49. $49 million budget, and the two picture IDs is... Gene Triplehorn now, and Gene Triplehorn with a blonde wig on. Yeah, genius. <laughs> it is so horrible. Really genius. Um, oh, I lost my spot. Where are we? Oh, my God. I totally lost my spot. Oh, there it is. So he goes to confront Beth about Catherine. She admits to sleeping with her and that she was 
embarrassed about it. And again, for the was it worst new star or was it worst supporting actress? Worst for, supporting actress. Baffling. Like this scene is really really good from Jean Triplehorn actually when she. When she's saying, well, what do you expect me to say? That I slept with her uh, so many years ago, but hey, I'm not gay? Like, I I, I can't say that. Uh, this whole scene from this character is really, really good. Uh, I've only... Uh, I recently watched uh, another nominee, uh, Anne-Margaret in Newsies, mm. which is a movie I didn't talk about that I watched. Uh, do you know Newsies? No. Uh, it's a musical. Ah. The lead character, a very young Bruce Wayne. Which one? Christian Bale. Oh, okay. Singing, dancing. It was not good. Okay. <laughs> I don't recognize any of the other names. Oh, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. Yeah, Bill that. Pullman's in it. Okay. Oh, and so is Robert Duvall. Mm. Okay. Tom. Don't watch it. <laughs> That's the character's name in Godfather, right? Yeah. Tom. Okay. Uh, she admits to sleeping with her. She claims Catherine had a fixation on her. And Beth is starting to put doubts in Nick's mind. He doesn't know who to believe. Catherine or Beth. They're both mind-fucking him. Yeah. Nick and Gus fight over Catherine. Nick yet again comes home to find Catherine there. And they fuck again. Um... I don't know what I have naked poised codal cuddles and chat, but I don't know what they could chat about. Uh, I think Did she reveal more about Lisa? I can't remember. Uh, what about. Let's see. I think uh, it's here. He first uses the line. They fuck like minks, raise rugrats and live happily ever after. Okay. Possibly. That might be it there. Okay. And she says it won't sell. Somebody has to die. Okay. Yeah. Which I like as a scene. And I definitely, I, at this point, I definitely thought there's no way Nick gets out of this movie alive. And, I was kind of I was kind of hoping that to be the case, honestly. <laughs> I mean, they've they've created a very a very shitty person, and they've foreshadowed his death kind of several times, um, mostly in the writing of her book. So uh, we'll get to the ending when we get there. But at this point, I'm like, okay, Nick is Nick is dead. Nick's as good as gone. He goes to Catherine's place. He sees the book mm-hmm. as it's printing out in a very 1990s printer. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you happen to read any of the book that's while well, it's being printed? Uh, yep, yeah. and it's a description of a murder in an elevator. Yep, right. Yep, of of his partner. Of his partner. It even says the word partner. Yeah, uh, the book is done, so Catherine's done with him, and she's fucking ice cold. Different person. Yep, and his little male ego can't handle it. No, because he knew it was the fuck of the century. Yeah, and for her, it was the fuck of the week. Mm-hmm. Um. Gus gets a call from Catherine's college roommate. Um, little Nikki's sad about getting dumped. Poor little Nikki's male ego can't handle it. Boo, 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 boo. They go to this uh, building where he's supposed to meet up with the, the roommate. And Gus goes up alone. Uh, the elevator stops on each floor and is possibly the slowest elevator of all time. Mm-hmm. Time for him to realize what is happening after he's already gotten on the elevator sprint into the building and up the staircase for him to go up four floors yeah i think yeah yeah slow elevator and gus is killed violently this was harsh this is is a very bloody murder yes poor gussie poo yeah did not deserve this yeah 
He this did. is really going to put a damper on his retirement. It really is. Uh, he takes Gus's gun, and Beth arrives out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And he shoots her. And what I always loved is, again, I don't understand why she gets a Worst Supporting Actress nomination because the look of shock on her face when she's shot is perfect. Yeah. And her death is, like, very, very, very good. Yeah. And she says, I always loved you. Yes. Yeah. Or I loved you, maybe. Yeah. I love you. He's now killed another innocent person. <laughs> I got to say, the scorecard not looking awesome for Nick yeah. at this point in the movie. Uh, he might get turned away by St. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. If he ever dies. Yeah. Which we're keeping our fingers crossed for. Uh, they find the disguise around the corner. And they find the gun, conveniently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find uh, some stalkery stuff. Some like some newspaper and magazine clippings. Yep. All convenient. Uh, more and more clues leading to Beth's guilt. This is wrapped up in a nice little bow. I can't remember what it was at this point. At this point, I knew still that uh, that she was uh, that um, uh, Catherine was the murderer. Yeah. At this point, I still knew. I can't remember. There was one glaring piece of evidence. From, I just thought it was very obvious, but I don't have it on my notes here. All right. Uh, he goes home. Catherine is there. Um, she doesn't want to care about Nick because she loses everybody. We get one last sex scene. She's riding him like a fucking champion. The score and the tension build up yet again. Beautifully shot. Beautifully filmed. For the second time, I think this is it. Yep. And instead of killing him, she just comes on him instead. Yeah. Not quite as uh, as poetic justice. No. Uh she rolls over and asks what are they going to do now he talks about again what is it uh, fuck they like fuck like minx raise, uh, raise rugrats and live happily ever after yeah and she says something about not wanting the rugrats or something like that yeah I could do without the rugrats yeah. or something like that and it's right here where his answer I think saves his life what does he say again because he says well then we'll just fuck like minx and live happily ever after yeah I think if he had pressed his luck with being like like trying to state that we're going to be a family ice pick to the neck i think she gets a nice pick to the neck yeah i think it's perfectly acted perfectly shot she reaches down and her stare and that score building and then she pulls him in for the kiss instead of the stab mm-hmm. and got as, me again too as they fuck and they pan down to the ice pick ice pick i have to say Maybe it's bias. Maybe it's my emotion against Nick. I really do think the better ending might be him dying. It's foreshadowed very well. There's lots of evidence pointing to it. Just because the audience figures it out doesn't make it doesn't make subverting it good. I guess would be the would be the thing I'm trying to say. Um, they've created like in the ending where he dies, they've created a character arc where a man slowly spirals into making bad decisions, bad decision after bad decision and pays the consequence. It's 
it's almost it's almost like a Greek tragedy where he was doomed to this very fate where this this person was just going to drag him into his worst desires mm-hmm. to do drugs and to kill people and to fuck drag him into his worst desires and have him die and pay the consequence for it that feels like a very tragic like like a tragic character arc to me yeah. even if he's a dick having him live just doesn't have the same doesn't have the same oomph for me and again i am i will fully admit i am rooting for this person to die for the last 2 hours <laughs> but even that notwithstanding i can't help but feel like the ending's improved a little bit with him dying All right, that's fair i don't like it that's our film. That's it. All right. Wrap it up. Time for a shit ton of trivia. Are you ready? Okay, let's do it. All right, here we go. We're going to start with the big one. <clears throat> Sharon Stone has claimed in several interviews over the years that Paul Verhoeven asked her to remove her underwear for the leg crossing scene, as he said they were too bright and reflected at the camera. Stone agreed to do so, under the assumption that her genitals wouldn't be shown. It was only at an early preview that Stone discovered Verhoeven chose to use this specific shot. Stone was mainly cross with Verhoeven for not discussing the matter with her beforehand, but decided to let the scene go without changes, as she felt this conformed with her movie character. However, over the years, Verhoeven has repeatedly shared his version of the conflict, which is that he discussed the leg-crossing shot with Stone beforehand over dinner as it was important for showing Catherine Trammell's free-spirited nature and her constant drive to toy with people. Stone was reportedly excited about the idea and shot the scene. However, during the early preview, her agent supposedly disapproved of the scene, fearing it would harm her future career. According to Verhoeven, Stone then radically changed her mind and demanded that he remove the shot, which he ultimately refused. Stone once again claimed she knew nothing about the scene in her memoir released in March 2021. When asked about it soon after, Verhoeven again defended himself, saying that Stone has, was even invited to a preview screening and saw her crotch was indeed visible. Stone said she did see the preview but was shocked by her crotch being seen and even slapped Verhoeven because of it. He added, quote, She knew exactly what we were doing. I told her over dinner that it was based on a story of a woman whom I knew when I was a student who did the crossing of her legs without panties regularly at parties. When my friend told her we could see her vagina, she said, of course, that's why I do it. Then Cher and I decided to do a similar sequence, end quote. Verhoeven has also repeatedly asserted that despite the controversy, he and Stone remain on good terms and there is no bad blood between them. They just remember things yeah so that's a whole can of worms and one of the main things that i saw in trivia when i was looking up for this movie Mm -hmm. i still don't really fully know how to feel about this whole thing i can't help but i can't help but wonder what incentive sharon someone have to lie for the last 30 years yes you know like it, it seems seems obvious to me that uh i don't know one person involved in this scenario has incentive to lie and the other doesn't and i feel like you know, I tend to believe Sharon Stone's into things. In her 2021 memoir, The Beauty of Living Twice, Sharon Stone said she didn't want to remove her panties for the infamous interrogation scene, but director Paul Verhoeven assured her that crotch wouldn't be visible on screen. But during a screening that the entire crew, blah, 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 uh, she, angry, she got up, went to the projection booth, and slapped Verhoeven. Then she called her lawyer. Stone wrote that he informed her that she could move to stop the film from being released because it was illegal to film up her dress, but later she decided to allow the scene to be included because it was right for her character. 
Verhoeven said in a 27 interview that Stone lied about not knowing her crotch would be visible. He said, any actress knows what she's going to see if you ask her to take off her underwear and there with the camera. Um, Sharon Stone played the interrogation scene as if she were playing a game. Instead of allowing male law enforcement to intimidate her character, Stone played the role with confidence. They ruse, they use, we have the power, we're going to show you, didn't cut the mustard with Catherine Stone, told Playboy. Her attitude was, you're so powerful, aren't you cute? And of course, she had all the power. These men put her in a position where she was alone in a chair in the center of an empty room surrounded. That would be a very intimidating position in which to be unless she disarmed them, which she did. At the police station, she could have been stricken and scared, but instead she thought, this is going to be fun. Oh, so you want me to sit in the middle of the room here? Oh, charming. Why is that? You want to make sure you can look up my dress? Okay, you can look up my dress. It was a game. End quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, they. What I heard is that uh, the the panties were causing a, a reflection of light off the cameras, so... We they'd already established, you know, when the scene when Michael sees her changing that she's not wearing underwear. Mm-hmm. So if the camera's picking up the underwear in the shot in the interrogation scene, that's that's actually a problem. It's a it's a it's an inconsistency. Yes. Now, where the camera's placed in the shot at Sharon Stone, I feel she had to have known it would see up her dress. Mm-hmm. What she probably didn't anticipate was the actual shot when she uncrossed her legs Mm -hmm. for that to get into the film so i think they're both right yeah it's entirely possible there's an aspect of miscommunication here yeah it's still as a as a director i think you need you owe it to everybody on set to be certain that we know what's going on yes everybody needs to know without a shadow of a doubt what is happening yeah so i think if we give paul verhoeven the benefit of the doubt that this was a miscommunication i think it it downgrades it from being malicious to being um uh there's a word for this uh downgrades it from being malicious to being uh maybe a little uncareful unprofessional unprofessional sure negligent that's nice. the word negligent Perfect. uh no body doubles were used in any of the sex scenes it's all sharon all sharon all michael all michael and all Gene, Triple mm-hmm. Horn, uh, and all Johnny Boz. Johnny Boz. Uh, It'd be Ma- weird to have a double for Johnny Boz because he's only in the sex scene. Yep. So then the double would be Johnny <laughs> Boz. <laughs> uh, Michael Douglas de- declined to go full frontal in the film or let his character be bisexual. Boo. Double standards. Yep. Boo. Um, Paul Verhoeven had some disagreements with Michael Douglas over his direction of Sharon Stone. Stone was reportedly very nervous and insecure, and in her first scene, she was unable to replicate the performance that she had given during her audition. According to Verhoeven, she came very close to being replaced, but since he knew she had what the role required, he coached her intensively to get the required performance out of her. However, this caused Douglas to feel left out, as Verhoeven thought that Douglas, an established actor, no longer needed such close attention. It eventually led to a very heated argument in a trailer, the stress of which caused Verhoeven to burst a vein in his nose that caused profuse bleeding. When he went outside with blood-stained clothes, crew members believed that Douglas had physically hit him in the face. 
that sounds like the kind of story that a director would tell to protect his actor who just punched him in the face. That's what that sounds like to me. Totally possible. Fair enough. I, I do get random nosebleeds. Me too. Never from stress. Mine come at the changing of the seasons. Me too. I get them really bad. Yeah. Uh, Paul Verhoeven showed copious amounts of footage for the sex scene of Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone, expecting that the MPAA would have problems with the explicit nature of the scene. He shot alternate close-ups, medium shots, and wide shots of virtually every shot over five days. This gave him the freedom to edit the scene until the MPAA was satisfied and no longer demanded that the scene was deleted altogether. I mean, fair enough. Kudos to the actors, man. Yep. Remain professional over that length of time. Uh, Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone had to wear genital pads during the sex scenes due to the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was a thing at the time. Uh, Joe Esterhouse based Catherine Trammell on a go-go dancer he knew in Ohio. One night, he picked up the stranger and they went back to his hotel room to have some fun. Quote, she reached into her purse and she pulled out a twenty-two and pointed it at me. She said, give me one reason why I shouldn't pull this trigger. I said, I didn't do anything to hurt you. You wanted to come here. And as far as I know, you enjoyed what we just did. And she said, but this is all guys ever wanted to do with me. And I'm tired of it. We had a lengthy discussion before she put that gun down. End quote. That's fucking horrifying. Yeah. Um, Joe Esterhouse was paid a then unheard of sum of $3 million for this script. Yeah. In an interview, Jennifer Tilly, who was not in this film, defended actresses who choose to do nude scenes, including Sharon Stone. Quote, most of the women you hear running down actresses who have done nude scenes have done nude scenes or sex scenes. People say Sharon Stone got to be a star because she showed her genitalia. I don't think that was it. I think she gave a tremendous performance in Basic Instinct. I don't think it was half a second of film that gave everybody the idea. Let's put Sharon Stone in our next movie. End quote. Hmm. Shout out to uh, accomplished poker player Jennifer Tilly. I knew you'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Catherine's last name comes from Alan Trammell, the longtime star shortstop for the Detroit Tigers. Good one. Uh, before my time. Yeah. Uh, Sharon Stone, uh, when doing the interview circuit, was really annoyed by the fact that everyone always asked her about how she felt about all the nudity when she had real problems with the fact that her character killed someone on screen. When filming this sequence, a paramedic had to be on standby as she kept passing out and suffered nightmares. The nudity was real, unlike the murder. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wouldn't have expected that reaction. Yeah. Uh, when it was first released, the film confused many audience members who had wildly different impre impressions of who the killer really was. It wasn't until the director and stars went public in interviews telling the public who the killer was and where clues could be found, that the debate about the ending finally was put to rest. However, the identity of the murderer is obvious, as it is clearly Sharon Stone's face and body in the opening scene. Mm -hmm. After the film's release, uh, someone called Sharon Stone's mother and asked her how she would feel about her daughter's nudity in the film. Her mother said, quote, Frankly, I was much more concerned about her playing a sociopathic serial killer, but thank you for calling, end quote. Yeah. Man, Western audiences, am I right? Yep. It's like, can't see a pair of tits, but like, oh, murder is fine. The bloodier, the better. Yep. With an ice pick, great. Yes. Making gruesome. Yeah. It's so funny to me that we can see vicious, violent things on screen, and they're like, mm, PG-13. If there's a boob, R. 
R. R rating. Cannot let our children see nude women, but they can definitely see murder. Mm-hmm. That's okay with us. Let them see vicious, violent murders. That is okay, but not a booby. Well, I mean, in, in their defense, seeing vicious, violent murders on the screen will prepare them for school when they see them in real life. Nice. Nice. Never too soon. Is that a little too real? No. Okay. Casting. Uh, Sharon Stone was director Paul Verhoeven's choice, but was only offered the role of Catherine after 13 actresses had turned it down. Wow. Sharon Stone wasn't a big name and didn't read for the part, fearing that she'd be disappointed. When she finally read the script and knew she was right for the role, she didn't want to call Paul Verhoeven, who she had just worked with in Total Recall, and ask if she could audition for him. I wouldn't ask because I didn't want him to test me just because he felt obligated, she told Playboy. One day, Verhoeven had her come in to dub lines for an airplane version of Total Recall, so she wore a tight, Catherine-esque dress to demonstrate to Verhoeven that she could play the man-eater part. Quote, I was being cool. Very cool, she said. I didn't want him to think I was insane, but I did want to give him a general idea that I could transform myself. Men are visually stimulated, and that's usually enough, at least at first. End quote. The dress worked, and Stone tested with Michael Douglas and won the role. Nice. Good story. Uh, Michael Douglas was a well-established star. Uh, oh, sorry. Michael Douglas felt a well-established star was needed to play Catherine, so the movie could be carried by two well-known actors, and the risk of career damage would also be shared. He suggested Demi Moore or Michelle Pfeiffer mm-hmm. for the part, but no actress of name was prepared to go completely nude for the role. Pfeiffer said she found the idea of filming the erotic love scenes too daunting. Quote, I just couldn't do that one because of the sexual parts, the nudity. My father was still alive. I'm kind of prudish, and honestly, I'm not that unhibited about my body. I'm modest, end quote. Which is fine. I think that's totally a fine, fine enough reason. Make that call. The role of Nick Curran was originally a lesbian cop and was written with Kathleen Turner in mind. Hmm. Okay. It's a it's a very different movie. Very. Very different movie. But I would like to reiterate that I hate Nick, so <laughs> couldn't have been couldn't have been worse. All right, here are some people that were up that were offered the role of Catherine Trammell. Drew Barrymore. Okay. No. Yeah, she's she a, she, she's a little too uh at least the way she's been cast, she's mouseish. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can't think of a better word than that right now, so we'll go with mouseish. She just doesn't have that power. No, she has more of this is this is bad, like a bad example because only you and I are the only people on planet Earth who will get this example. But when I think of her, I think of Fever Pitch, where she's like bubbly and happy and fun. She's like I think of rom com Drew Barrymore. Yeah, right. So yeah, I, I I don't think she would be right. Meg Ryan. I have very little experience with Meg Ryan, and the experience that I do have, she's too too lighthearted for this. Uma Thurman? I mean, of all the people listed so far, probably the best. I still, she just doesn't have that confidence, and she doesn't have that combination of conf. I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way. The com- the combination of confidence and sexuality mm-hmm. that Sharon Stone has. Julia Roberts. I could get on board with. I cannot. I don't see her. Not strong enough for me. Mm-hmm. And there's no way she's doing those nude scenes. No. Well, I mean, it's kind of a moot point with all of these people. Rene Russo. Uh, I only really know Rene Russo. F- well, Night, the aforementioned Nightcrawler, yep. for sure. At which point she was too old for this. And then I know there's another one I know her from, but I can't remember it right now. Mm. 
Uh, Courtney Cox. Uh, no. I, I don't think so. Laura Dern. No. Jodie Foster. No. Helen Hunt. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. Like Helen Hunt and Jodie Foster are both talented actresses, but I just don't don't know if they're quite right. Nicole Kidman. Could have yeah uh, okay uh, she could have played it. I mean this this probably is very shallow, but there's something something about the blonde bombshell nature of Sharon Stone. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just the fact that she like it is kind of just the fact that she's very traditionally facially gorgeous yes like the fact that she's it's almost sort of uh like dreamlike yes like an unattainable the 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 very nature of that is like important for the character i think so i don't know it could be call me shallow but i don't think any any of these people have reached that standard jennifer connelly oh at the time absolutely yeah again i just don't see jennifer connelly having that confidence that sexual Mm self-confidence Madonna would have worked well on a on a meta level, like having someone who's like a sex symbol. Yep. Uh, in the role would have been good. I genuinely don't know if she would have had the acting chops. I don't think she so. doesn't. From like visually, she works, but she doesn't fill doesn't hit the acting chops. This last one is the only one that I think works, but she wouldn't have been as good as Sharon Stone, and I don't know if you've seen any of her major roles and that's Gina Gershon well I saw um face off yep uh hold on but you haven't seen bound you haven't seen showgirls Gina Gershon would have would have worked uh yeah I haven't seen showgirls no I don't I don't think I've seen Oh god, have I seen anything? I haven't seen Pretty in Pink, which apparently she's in. Oh, she's a, she's a minor character. Yeah, let's see. The Insider is a The you've, Insider. You've seen it, but she she's a small role. She's a lawyer. Yeah. I don't know her really from anything, honestly. Gina Gershon has that same sexual self-confidence that Sharon Stone has. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if she has the acting chops to pull off what Sharon Stone does. I I like this is one of the one of those roles that I just don't see anybody else being able to do. Like like Morgan Freeman and Shawshank. Mm-hmm. I don't see anybody else being able to do that role at that same level. Wasn't it like Liam Neeson almost cast as Red or something yeah. like that? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Long list of people that were up for Nick. Okay. Hit me. All right. Jeff Bridges. All right. Nicolas Cage. It's funny. Nicolas Cage came to mind, actually. That's so weird. Uh, I don't think I can get on board with seeing Nicolas Cage's ass just on principle. Michael J. Fox. Would have been good. <laughs> you would have liked that? I would have liked that. I mean, he's a little too... He's not nearly threatening enough, and he's a little too physically small in stature. Then again, I think Michael Douglas is a small guy, too, right? I don't think so. I don't know. Michael up. J. Fox has got to be like 5'6". Michael J. Fox is like famously small. Yeah. Michael Douglas has got to be like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, That's my guess. Yeah. Which is like, I guess, average for an actor, right? John Travolta. Nope. Denzel Washington. I mean, it's Denzel. Like Denzel would have done great. Al Pacino. I don't want to see Al Pacino sex scenes. Nope. Sorry. I Me don't. Me neither. <laughs> Sean Penn. 
Uh, yep, would have been would have been good. Sylvester Stallone. Nope. Tom Hanks. No, I mean the closest thing we've seen to Tom Hanks playing against type is Road to Perdition, and he was great. But I can't see him in this. If if I had to watch Tom Hanks rape somebody, I might actually just lose hope in humanity. <laughs> Mel Gibson. <laughs> Remember what I just said about Tom Hanks? Mel Gibson might be a good casting. I think he would actually be really good. <laughs> I this. think he would be good in this movie. Oh <clears throat> boy. Tom Cruise. A little, I don't know, a little too boyish, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Robert De Niro. Very menacing. Yep, I, I could get on board with I that. I don't want to see De Niro fuck. <laughs> I don't want to see any of these guys fuck. I don't. I don't even want to see. Uh, I don't even want to see Michael Douglas fuck. Brad Pitt. Okay, let me retract my previous <laughs> statement. From a pure sexuality perspective, yeah. I don't know. Again, I'm definitely splitting hairs here, but like a little too pretty. Brad Pitt's too young. Yeah, he's too young at this point too. You should, right now, type up Brad Pitt. A river runs through it. This is the exact age he is. There's no way he can play this character. Let me see. Holy shit. No chance. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He can't play this character. He's too young. He's not even old enough to get into this movie, I don't think. <laughs> He's sneaking in like you and getting on a home video. Ray Liotta. Uh, may he rest in peace. Would have done a good job. I, I think uh, he would be very well suited to this type of character. When yeah. we talked about him in our in our tribute the other day, we talked about him... Uh, his performance in uh, A Place Beyond the Pines comes to mind. Yeah. He's like a very asshole cop. Yeah. I think he would have done well. Harrison Ford. Also good. Kevin Costner. <laughs> you had to throw that one in there. Right? Fuck yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we can throw Kevin Costner in anything. All right. That's everything I got. All right. Yeah, I think I like, uh, I mean, recency bias a little bit, but Ray Liotta feels like a good pick to me. Uh, favorite quote? I've got eight. Okay, go ahead. All right. First one is from Nick, number one. I don't remember how often I used to jerk off, but it was a lot. <laughs> number two, I wasn't pissed off at my dad, even when I was old enough to know what he and mom were doing in the bedroom. Number three, I don't look in the toilet before I flush. Number four, I haven't wet my bed for a long time. Number five, why don't the two of you go fuck yourselves? I'm out of here. Got him. Number two, Nick, what did Manny Vesquez call you? Catherine, bitch mostly, but he meant it affectionately. Number three is from Gus. Are you a pro? No, I'm an amateur. Hmm. Number four is Catherine. What are you going to do? Charge me with smoking? Nice. Number five is Catherine again. I wasn't dating him. I was fucking him. Number six is Nick. Let me ask you something, Rocky, man to man. <laughs> Number seven is Nick and Catherine. I told her I thought it was the fuck of the century. Well, what do you think? I thought it was a pretty good beginning. And number eight is from Catherine. I'm not going to confess all my secrets, Nick, just because I had an orgasm. Which, again, it seems so obvious. Yep. Okay, uh, those are yours. Yep. I didn't find this movie insanely quotable. Uh, I only really managed to come up with three that really impressed me. Okay. Uh, one, I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing and then kill, kill him the way I described in my book. I'd be announcing myself as the killer. I'm not stupid. Uh, number two is in the very same scene. Uh, Wayne Knight asks, were you ever engaged in any uh, sadomasochistic activity? 
And uh, she responds, exactly what did you have in mind, Mr. Corelli? <laughs> With a big old smile on her face, knowing exactly what she's doing. Uh, number three, what are you going to do? Charge me with smoking? That's what I found. Nice. My favorite quote is, what are you going to do? Charge me with smoking? I think I'm going to go with the same one, actually. Nice. Very cool. Uh, favorite scene, I have six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Nick and Gus meet Catherine for the first time. Mm-hmm. Then I have the drive to the interrogation. Directly after? Yep. Then the interrogation scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick and Catherine's first sex scene. Nails. Nick follows Catherine, the car chase scene. Mm. The Oh, sorry, I have seven. And then uh, the other car chase scene between him and Roxy. And then the sex scene at the end. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I, uh, I also have six. One is the opening murder. Okay. Uh, two is uh, the car ride with Catherine. Yep. Uh, number three, the interrogation. Number four, Catherine crying over Roxy's death. Oh, nice. Good uh, call. Number five, uh, I actually have this in uh, the wrong chronological order, but Roxy's car chase as well. Yeah. And then number six, Gus's death. Oh, nice. Um, your favorite scene? I'm going to go with the interrogation. Oh, shocker, so am I. Yeah, wow. Big yeah. surprise. Uh, closing credits. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Uh, the obvious, Sharon Stone. Um, yes. I have been watching. Shit, and I'm only at one? No, two. I've seen two of the Best Actress nominees so far. Uh, I will be able to get... I'm planning on getting all five. So I've seen Mary McDonald in Passion Fish and Michelle Pfeiffer in Love Field. Um... I have to take out one of them to get uh, my girl in here, and I will easily take out Mary McDonald's performance in Passion Fish. Good. Um, and I won't lie, Michelle Pfeiffer's good in Love Field. I'd happily take her out because I think this performance was worthy of an Oscar nomination. I think her omission here is uh, honestly a travesty. If I can put on my tinfoil hat a little bit, I, I can almost guarantee you that the sheer amount of nudity in this movie caused people to underrate this performance yep. at the time and since. 100%. Yeah. Yep, 100%. Uh, anybody else? I really enjoyed Gus a lot. Gus is a good character. Uh, we oh. heaped... We heaped praise on Wayne Knight, but he's not really in the movie enough to garner a nomination. Nope. Uh, as much as I love George Zunza as Gus, uh, he's not cracking this Best Supporting Actor. I'm The Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor this year are so fucking stacked. Uh, I don't, it's going to be really hard. And off the top of my head, I can't think of a performance that's going to be able to break through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did want to give a, a shout out to George Zunza uh, as Gus. Cool. Uh, performance I really enjoy. Uh, I don't have Michael Douglas in there. He's not no. He's not worst actor t- uh, territory like no. uh, the Razzies have him at, but he's not best actor either. No. Gene Triplehorn for supporting? I mean, I would entertain it. I don't have any real um, experience with the uh, with the nominees. I've seen I've, I've seen pieces of my cousin Vinny. I've seen two. I've seen Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny, and I, I, I watched Husbands and Wives. I watched Judy Davis. I don't think I can take either one out for Gene Triplehorn. Mm-hmm. So once I've got the other ones, maybe I'll see if I can squeak her in at the end of the year, but we'll see. What other aspects of the film are award-worthy? So we've got nominations for editing and Edi- score. Yep. Uh, both deserved, I think. We really like the cinematography in this I movie. I did. Uh, Yann de Bont, the cinematographer. 
that name ring a bell? It does. Do you know what it's from? I can't remember. Director, I pulled up the cinema. Director of Speed. Oh. And director of Die Hard 2. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, great cinematographer, uh, which is funny because Die Hard 2 doesn't look nearly as good as this movie. No. Not nearly as good. Um, well, that's because Jan DeBont directed Die Hard 2. He didn't shoot it. Uh-huh. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, I like both those nominations. I would throw cinematography in there potentially. Okay. depending on the other noms so the best cinematography a river runs through it i've seen hoffa i've seen uh and unforgiven i've seen we will be watching howard's end and the lover i'm unaware of i will easily kick hoffa out of there to get this in there for best cinematography okay. um yeah hoffa not a fan uh the rest i have no strong feelings about can't well, I don't think there's a lot of makeup. There's no real special effects. I love the. I really love the editing. Yeah. Uh, costume I, design never. They never get nominated for uh, contemporary films. Makeup. It's a lot of blood. Yeah. Um, screenplay. I think there's enough problems in the character writing, and I didn't find it insanely quotable. I'm fine omitting that. Yeah. I think we're good. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think the cinematography should have got a, a mention here. Sure. Uh, weak link of the film. Uh, the character of Nick. Just, we have a really, a really weak protagonist. Someone who's genuinely unlikable and takes a lot of enjoyment out of the movie for me. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I, I, I gotta go with that as well. Uh, was this anyone's career highlight? I think indisputably Sharon Stone's. 100 like, 100%. Not a question. Michael Douglas has been the lead in a lot of movies. I don't think this would find its way into He his. won an Oscar three years before this there you go uh is that wall street correct yeah yeah so yeah not uh, not his career highlights um it's definitely uh leilani's uh who plays roxy because i think she doesn't do anything else after this okay uh paul verhoeven Ooh. arguably uh basic instinct total recall showgirls uh starship troopers all come to mind wrote he did robocop yeah, RoboCop. Which is huge. He did Total Recall, which was a massive hit. Yeah. It's funny that he only really has two modes. It's either, like, pure sci-fi or just sex. Yeah. This this might be... Oh, that's a good call. I think this could be... I, I, I'm going to go ahead and, and give him the old check mark for that one. Okay. But, uh, obviously, your, your call as well. All right. Um, will this make anyone's highlight reel? Yeah. Um, so it's Sharon Stone's Gene Triplehorn for sure, George Zunza, because uh, he's third build. Yeah. Um, will this make Michael Douglas's? He's, yes, it will. Yeah. yeah will it? Will. Yes, it will. Hundred okay. percent. I'll trust you on that. I would go if I'm going to do Michael Douglas's Mount Rushmore, Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction, Wall Street. Those three are for sure. Then after that, it'd probably be Romancing the Stone. What about uh, what about Wayne Knight? Wayne Knight, this is um, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember? Do you remember the trivia I gave you during Jurassic Park about this film? Not necessarily. Wayne Knight got the role in Jurassic Park because of this movie. Right. Okay. Spielberg saw him and went, "That is my character." Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he loved the reaction shots that he was giving because he said, "If I can get those reaction shots." But on the other end of dinosaurs, mm -hmm. I've got a hit. Yeah. Cool. Uh, MVP of the film. 
Sharon Stone, pretty clearly. Hands down. Yeah. Yeah, this is... Hands down, legs open. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> Sorry, too easy. Um, yeah, she is catapulted into superstardom because of one movie. Mm-hmm. What will be this film's legacy? Uh, it's shitty to say because it's such a great overall performance, but this film is not remembered for Sharon Stone's performance. It's remembered for the thing I just referenced. The leg her, crossing. Her opening her legs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that will be this film's legacy, which is sad. What I'm hoping... What I'm hoping is that maybe because of that film's legacy, people will check this film out. I'm hoping. Because this movie is... This movie was a lot better than I remembered. Yeah, it was pretty good. Would you watch this movie again? I would. So would I. Yeah, I... I, Especially, not only because she gets naked, but especially for Sharon Stone's performance. Mm -hmm. I actually honestly didn't remember it being this good. And it was a treat to see her in here. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Yes. Uh, If to be like a little time capsule of the nineties, like, Hey, you ever heard of the genre called erotic thrillers that existed before internet porn? Yeah. This one is like the quintessential one. Go check it out. This is the citizen Kane of erotic thrillers. Yes. I also, I I neglected to shout this out earlier, but I've mentioned the show love before on the show. And I just have to bring it up here because the main, one of the main characters in that show, Gus, winds up uh, producing and directing his own erotic thriller because he's a massive fan of the erotic thriller nice. genre. And he's trying to bring it back. But, yeah, it doesn't go so well. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I would definitely recommend this movie to friends. Uh, obviously, most people my age have already seen this. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely, like I mentioned before, I, I really wish I had uh, rigged the Many Movie Club and made this this week's selection. Yeah, this one would have would have gotten some reactions. Yeah. Some I, Wayne Knight caliber reactions. Yes. I definitely would have loved to have heard a lot of people's thoughts on this film. Uh, Sam, your final thoughts on Basic Instinct. Uh, no means no, kids. Uh, <laughs> the character of Nick really brought down my enjoyment of this movie, unfortunately. Not to a point where I found it unwatchable or anything like that. Um, but... This movie uh, ha- has some really excellent things going for it and some really bad things going for it. Uh, so I- I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head around everything that I experienced. Generally, I had a good time. Generally, I would definitely check this movie out again. But it's got some issues. It's got some screenwriting problems, and it's got uh, uh, some character development problems uh, with Nick. And, uh, and yeah, I didn't find the movie insanely quotable either. So mainly, I think the main problems with the movie lie in the screenplay, but... Overall, uh, it is so well-realized by both Paul Verhoeven and Sharon Stone um, that I, I had a really good time. And I was um, I was kind of worried, I guess, going in that, uh, like I mentioned, the legacy of this movie beforehand, uh, for me, is just the, the leg uncrossing scene. Yeah. So I'm worried that I am just going to be going into watching a two-hour movie built around a five-second shot. Not even. Yeah, right? So I, I'm... I'm just worried that there's going to be no substance to this movie whatsoever uh, outside of that moment. And that very much was not the case. The movie is full of substances, has some, <laughs> no pun intended, full of substances, <laughs> uh, uh, ha- has some uh, some great moments even outside of that one um, and, and some major issues as well. Yeah. So um, a polarizing film, a volatile film, and uh, a crazy ride and a good look into the 90s and the erotic thriller genre. Awesome. I really enjoyed this movie. 
uh, obviously, uh, teenager Manny uh, fully enjoyed this movie, but uh, adult Manny really got to watch this movie in a new way and enjoy it for the film that it is, not just the eroticism found within. It was a delightful surprise to revisit Sharon Stone's performance and to see just how incredibly powerful it is uh, as a, a strong sexually powerful woman and uh, I love the character of Catherine Trammell. Uh, there was a sequel made uh, starring Sharon Stone uh, a few years later. I never watched it. Uh, I have no desire to. I, I heard it is atrociously bad. 14 years later. 14 years later. Yeah, oh. 2006. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see what it could possibly be bring or add to the character care to hazard a guess on the meta score of basic instinct 2 31 26 it's not good that's that is very bad actually yeah that that has me concerned uh i had a really great time with the movie obviously the character of nick curran is very problematic and so incredibly unlikable but the character of Catherine Trammell is one of the best female characters I've seen in a long time. I love her so much, and not just because Sharon Stone is my original girlfriend. I just think it's a great character and a really enjoyable movie that really pushes the boundaries of what North American audiences are comfortable with. And I love Paul Verhoeven for that. Hmm. and uh yeah a movie i enjoyed time to give this movie a rating sammy what you got uh i feel pretty confident in giving this one a three uh this isn't a three like uh i'm sorry that this is the first example i thought of manny but tremors it, it was also a three for me yep and that one when i gave it a three was kind of like oh, i didn't really have a strong reaction to it either way it was just fun yep had a good time this is like the opposite of that this is a three where like there are some awesome aspects to it and some really major flaws as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a lot more volatile and polarized, but still, at the end of the day, lands in the middle of the three. Sweet. Uh, this is a four for me. Okay. I found my enjoyment and admiration for the character of Catherine Trammell, and Sharon Stone's performance elevated it to a, a four for me. Wicked. Okay. Awesome. Uh, what do we got next week? Sammy boy. Next week, episode 213, third part in this 1992 retrospective. We are going to be talking about the Razzie Award winner for Worst Picture of the Year. We're getting it out of the way early in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, our boy Michael Douglas is, uh, is going to be reappearing on screen in Shining Through. Uh, I am nervous. I'm very nervous. Too. I've actually never heard of this movie. Me neither. Sam, I've never seen this movie. I also know nothing about it. Okay, Manny, let me me flip the table. Let me turn the tables on you for a second if I can. I thought you'd like that, but we're both going to (laughs) play. Okay. All right. Do you want me to go first? Uh, Sure. You go ahead. Okay. So, you know what? Actually, it might be better for you to go first because there are a couple things I do know about this movie. Okay. So, let's go you first because I actually know a couple things. Well, Shining Through, as you know, Manny, is uh, the sequel to the 1980 horror film The Shining. <laughs> I don't believe Jack Nicholson is recast in it. They did recast his character with Michael Douglas. 
and uh, it is about uh, just walking through the, uh, is it called the Overlook Hotel? Yes. Yeah, just walking through the Overlook Hotel, hence shining through the, the hotel. It's, it's actually a very uh, appropriately named movie. All right. Yeah. Now, I saw a still from this film. So I'm pretty sure it's set during World War II. Okay. So I also, th- I think his co-star is Annette Bening. I think. Okay. okay. I know Michael, obviously we know Michael Douglas in it. So I'm going to say it's about a doomed romance in World War II. Mm. And by doomed, I mean they go through a lot of tragedy. Mm-hmm. But they do make it out on the other side. Okay. So the word doom doesn't really fit in. I think a a troublesome. uh, Are are we talking like Romeo and Juliet style? No, I'm talking about like maybe. Okay, this one I'm going to go with. Michael. This one I'm going to go with. It is. uh, It's World War II. Okay. I hope. World War II. (laughs) And Michael Douglas is a spy, and he has to lie to I think like I, th- I think it's Annette Benning, but we'll mm-hmm. find out whoever his love interest is. He has to lie to her, and then she finds out the truth. That causes them to break up, and then he does something to win her back at the end. I'm I'm in favor of it. Okay. That, okay. That's that's shining through. Yeah. All right. Um. Social media, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star review and, and uh, a, a positive write-up, it will increase the profile of our podcast. Please uh, give us a five-star uh, rating on Spotify as well. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, even though I don't – I just stopped using Twitter. I'm, I'm very sorry. But I'm starting to get a little bit more active on Instagram. I like I kind of – not really promoting us, but just kind of – Post every now and again. I post every now and again. Um, but you can follow us on uh, Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. I'm just going to drop Twitter because I don't I don't log into it at all. That's still pretty popular down in the states. Is Twitter? Do you tweet? I don't tweet. I've I have not tweeted in a long time. Do you on... follow Twitter though? Like I you... do. I mean, I, I follow some people on Twitter. Okay. But uh, but yeah, I don't I don't use it to tweet. I mostly use it just to follow. Okay. Wonder if I, I should... lurk, as the kids say. All right. I don't know. All right, whatever. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I think that's everything. Letterboxed? Oh, right, Letterboxed. Uh, Manny42 and Sam Reimer. We would love to hear from you guys on Letterboxd. Please, if if you like movies, I can't stress enough how— If you're still listening, I'd say there's a reasonable chance you like movies. Yeah, I can't stress enough how great Letterboxd is. Yeah. Letterboxd, if you're listening, pay us to say nice things about you because we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, I'm going to I'm happy to promote that that app because I think it might be my favorite one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, for the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. It was the podcast of the century. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.